And we are on air right now for this Thursday night, September the 22nd, for our Texas NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off here at Banff Racing Radio. And joining me as co-host for tonight is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. I can I can only imagine how Mike and Andy feel when they miss like several episodes. I missed one and I feel like I'm lost. Like I haven't talked to you guys in in, in a long time. So excited to be back here on Thursday night. Well, we're happy to have you. This was Jay Huseman week. So uh no, actually Sal was on on Monday. Jay Huseman week was uh, the week a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yep. Anyway, we're happy to have you back here on Thursday night. I appreciate it, and I'm super excited. Got some more big races, some pivotal races, uh, if you will, for the Xfinity and Cup Series I know we're going to talk about. Yes, indeed. In our first half hour, we're going to start with short track news and some upcoming races. There's a little bit of controversy in the uh, short track scene uh, with the NASCAR Weekly Touring Series, but uh, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. We'll also offer a few updates for the Arkham Menards, the ARCA East and the ARCA West, they are not racing this weekend. Of course, the ARCA East already uh, has their champion in Sammy Smith, but uh, there's still a few more races left in the ARCA Menard Series and the ARCA West. At 9 o'clock, we have the media interview. They did media interviews with all the Xfinity Series playoff drivers uh, this week, and we have that interview with Noah Gregson, uh, driver of the number nine Chevrolet at Junior Motorsports. After that, we'll give a few updates from the NASCAR Truck Series. They're not racing uh, this weekend. We'll see them back on track at Talladega Super Speedway next week. Uh, but we're going to close out our segment, uh, uh, our preview segment tonight with the NASCAR Xfinity and the Cup Series races at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, this will be the first race of the playoffs for the NASCAR Xfinity Series and a big race for the Cup Series at Texas Motor Speedway this weekend. Of course, our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off will start at 10 o'clock tonight, and uh, joining us for that conversation is Mike Orzel. Both Andy and, and Tommy are not available tonight, but we'll look forward to talking to Mike when he comes on at 10. Yeah, I want to say uh, congratulations there to Tommy. I know he got married last week, and uh, I guess it was Hawaii where they spent their uh, – honeymoon and now feeling a little under the weather so our thoughts and prayers are also with him there yes indeed i tell you what this has been the week uh i know a lot of people who've been under the weather this week so uh it, it, we're approaching flu season and it's just uh everybody be careful out there okay all right, let's go ahead and get started with the short track news. Uh, I'm going to head over here to um, Racing America. Uh, there was a big championship decided this week, Lane Riggs. He's the son of NASCAR driver, uh, former NASCAR driver Scott Riggs. A lot of people will remember that name. He, become, he became the youngest NASCAR Weekly Touring Series champion uh, this week, but uh, there's a little controversy that kind of happened around it. Uh, Lane Riggs was declared the champion after uh, NASCAR did an audit, uh, and he won that championship by four points over Peyton Sellers. Um, 
I guess uh, the dust settled on the pair of twin features at the Motor Mile Speedway and Dominion Raceway on Friday and Saturday nights. And it appeared as if Seller won via a tiebreaker, but uh, under controversial uh, situations. He swept both races at the Motor Mile, but only after swapping over from his familiar number 26 to the number zero, uh, typically driven by Seller's racing client Landon Pembleton, Riggs withdrew from the second twin feature, and as a result, the race was no longer a full field, counting toward the national championship points. So just as a refresher here, NASCAR takes the top 18 finishers from a driver through the second weekend of September, but only in Division One races with a full field designated by 16 or more drivers with a valid competition license. That, in turn, allows drivers from all across the country driving a variety of cars to race against each other for that same championship. The complicated nature of the national points racing has produced no shortage of controversial finishes over the years, uh, with contending drivers and affiliated tracks working sometimes hand-in-hand to stack the deck with cards to reach a full field. Now, uh, I'm, this is an article that was written by Matt Weaver. <clears throat> uh, but anyway, uh, just to kind of finish off here, even over the course of the summer, Sellers and Riggs had numerous hard battles across Virginia with the occasional scuttlebutt of Sellers racing cars driving especially hard against the son of uh, Cup Series veteran Scott Riggs. Nothing out of the unusual when it comes to gamesmanship associated with the weekly national championship. Uh, so with that in mind, both championship finalists showed up at Dominion and Sellers trailing Riggs by just two points with one additional win. Sellers won the first feature at, with, at uh, Dom- Dominion, withdrew his car from the second, but did drive that backup car to preserve his primary for the Martinsville 300. Uh, uh, a kind of analogous to taking a knee in the final moments of a football game since he owned that tiebreaker. But here's what happened. NASCAR implemented an audit of key races throughout the summer and found instances of unlicensed drivers and what the sanctioning body determined as an affront to the weekly series rule book. Now, NASCAR did not throw out any race results, but they did disqualify the unlicensed drivers from the results of those races, and that prevented them from counting as full fields. Specifically, Sellers was told that NASCAR found the limited late model uh, competitor, J.D. Eversole, had entered twin races at Dominion Raceway on August 27th without a valid license and stripped him of his 10th and 16th place finishes that night. Uh, so uh, NASCAR also disqualified from the results of the second race at the Motor Mile, cars owned by Kyle Dudley and Billy Martin on the basis of artificially inflating car counts without the intent to compete, denying sellers a full-field win. To be eligible for the second race, according to the Motor Mile rule book, a car must compete at least half of the first race, which every car entered into the event event accomplished on Saturday. Uh, So Sellers is a little bit upset because he knew what he needed to do going into the weekend 
and he felt that he accomplished that. Uh, and then NASCAR took some time to do this review, and it eliminated him as the finalist and put Lane Riggs at the top of that list. I can certainly understand where he's coming from, but at the same time, I know NASCAR was really, uh, uh, I guess, doing their due diligence here. But it is a controversial finish. I'm happy for Lane Riggs. I don't think he's done anything wrong here. Uh, he just happens to be the recipient of uh, what this audit revealed and became the youngest National Series winner in this weekly touring series. Uh, before that, it, by the way, it was Peyton Sellers. Well, you're right. There's a lot to talk about there, and we may actually have to maybe even move this to a hot topic because I, I can certainly provide some insight into that as far as you mentioned manipulating the field. Um, now, withdrawing to prevent a full field, that's a new one by me. Normally we see it as we saw uh, discussed here or talked about of adding cars to the field to make sure it's a full field that aren't truly right. there to compete or specifically to help one driver. Um, unfortunately, I have seen that. The problem becomes in how the rules are written. Uh, if there exactly. is no rule, yeah, and that's what, as you were reading that, I thought about that when we think about, like, at the NASCAR level, the starting part, you know, um, mm -hmm. which we haven't seen as much of in recent years, but there are certainly some teams out there that aren't super competitive. So I think they're, they're treading uh, down a line. They've got to be careful of what line they take going forward. Because, again, then you want to see it consistent across all of their branded sanctioning a series. So um, it's a tough well, position. And I think I, this, overall, I think they did the right thing. Right. But I think this is something – there's been controversy before, uh, and this is not an exception, unfortunately. But I do think NASCAR needs to sit down and take a look at that and see how they can avoid the manipulation that is kind of taking place here uh in order to secure uh that um you know secure some of these spots or to secure these fields um that 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 needs to be looked at i think and maybe the rules we written about that yeah and that's why i say and i'll try and be real quick here when it comes to local dirt track racing you can take your car and move up a class because odds are you're going to get outrun but I have seen it where then, as same same point system, you get more points based on the more cars up to a, a full field, as you mentioned. So there, yes, if you have the street stock class and three or four or more of the class, the field is factory stock classes. It's got to make you wonder. You aren't competing against other street stocks. Um, so again, there's nothing wrong in the rules. People are aware of it. Uh, you know, we've talked about several situations. We may not like it, but it's not wrong by the rule book. Now, in right. this case, NASCAR found unlicensed drivers. Most certainly, then, you can take them away from them as they did. And that's why I say I think in the long run here, they did the right thing. But I also think they need to look at, like you said, setting down and looking at their rules and what to make in the rule book to avoid this from happening and there not being any controversy behind a championship finish. Exactly. So uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, putting that link up on our team's uh, Hot Topics uh, 
thread, I would appreciate okay. it. Certainly. This could be one that we talk about tonight. Um, so I appreciate that, Jay. Uh, but, but I did uh, want to want to add there. I want to add there. I'm, I'm with you. Congratulations to, to Lane Riggs, and he does become the youngest champion. We've seen him race a couple at the uh, in the truck series, um, knowing that he was Scott Riggs' um, son. But I did not know that as competing with this, he would be the youngest champion. So a big congratulations to him. Yes, yes. I, I think that was really cool that uh, uh, he did win that championship. Uh, and I know it's controversial, but uh, after NASCAR's audit, that's what they determined. And I, I have to go along with, with what they've determined and, and congratulate Lane Riggs. And I think it's great for him. Uh, it's unfortunate for Peyton Sellers. I can cert- certainly feel his pain at the same time. Okay. Most most certainly. You, un- you understand it. And, again, we've had that discussion of how far are you willing to go to win, uh, whether it be bumping somebody on the track. The, the question I have, and I know if we're going to put it on hot topics, I'll try not to get too deep, but having other drivers – blocking for you or protecting you i yeah i am totally against that tough thing it that a sanctioned body is proving it yes yes that's the tough part you're absolutely right um okay i want to move on here there's the crown jewel of the late model stock car discipline that's going to take place this weekend it will be on racing america uh as well, more than 90 teams entered for the Valley Star Credit Union 300. In fact, um, that event may have already taken place. I'm trying to see here the date. Uh, 2 p.m. Friday. No, it's this Friday. 2 p.m. Friday, September the 23rd is a four-hour practice session qualifying on Friday at 8 p.m. Uh, for the four qualifying races. Uh, the fans Gate will open 12:30 on Saturday, and the Fan Garage Experience and Autograph Session at 12:45. Racing at three with pre-race ceremonies, uh, and the feature starting at 5 p.m. and the 200 lap feature race starting at seven. So a lot of drivers are on this list. Over 90 drivers. Uh, Peyton Sellers is one of those drivers. I think I saw Lane Riggs on here as well. Carson Quapple. Um, I'm going back to see if I saw Lane Riggs. I thought I saw his name on here. Um, but if you want to see the full list, Roger Caruth is on the list, Ty Majewski, uh, Katie Hedinger um, is on this list. If you want to see the full list, I would really suggest, yeah, Lane Riggs is on this list. Uh, you want it, Connor Mosack is on the list. Head over to Racing America. They do have that available. And that's that uh, 300, the Valley Star Credit Union 300 uh, that we were talking about at Martinsville Speedway. And also this weekend, and I know we're going to get ready to move into the um, Arkham Menard series, uh, series here, but there's going to be three championships on the line this weekend at Five Flags Speedway in Pensacola as they wrap up their season in preparation for the Snowball Derby. So, again, a lot of short track action wrapping up. We talked about championships, uh, um, different ways, uh, how they come down. But check out the Five Flags Speedway get wrapping up their championships. 
Yes, uh, Five Flags Speedway is one of our favorites uh, because of the Snowball Derby, and uh, they always do that uh, early in December. So um, if you want to get a preview of uh, the drivers uh, that might be entered in that Snowball Derby, uh, this is the weekend to get out there out in Pensacola, Florida. All right, we do have to head over um, to the Arkham Menard Series. I know they're not racing this weekend, uh, but there are some great uh, articles that are over at uh, Racing.com. Nick Sanchez, uh, embracing his heritage, carries the Cuban-American heritage with pride uh, through his NASCAR journey. And uh, he has been uh, very good in the Arkham Menard Series this season. Um, and uh, I just wanted to uh, call attention to that if you'd like to get to know more about Nick Sanchez. So that's up well, over fans, there. Go ahead. Fans are certainly going to learn more about Nick Sanchez as we've seen him start competing in more and more races, battling for this uh, Arca Menard Series championship. So they're going to learn more about him one way or another because he, he's climbing the ladder. Yeah, he has raced a few uh, Xfinity series this year, too. And uh, I'll have to look and see if he's on the list this weekend at uh, Texas. Um, but they have another article here, too. Chris Busher uh, is the ARCA graduate of the week. A lot of times uh, when a former ARCA driver wins in NASCAR, they like to feature that driver at ARCA racing. And uh, this week, of course, it is Chris Busher. And uh, you can learn more about him in that. Um, I talked earlier about how Sammy Smith took the uh, ARCA East. He also took the Sioux Chief Showdown Championship, and you can learn more about that there as well. And there's another one. People need to get used to hearing that name. You mentioned it, and it's his second back-to-back um, ARCA Menard Series East Championship. We've seen him running in the Xfinity Series with Joe Gibbs racing and they have an open seat next year so we'll see what happens there nothing that we have heard yet on that front but a highly touted candidate for sure exactly right now they raced at uh, kansas speedway on september the 10th their next race oh they raced at bristol motor speedway on september the 15th uh and that was the season finale for the arkham menard series the next race for the Arkham Menard Series is going to be October 1st. That will be at Salem Speedway, 4 p.m. Eastern. It will be televised on MAV-TV's Motorsport Network, and it will be live-streamed at Flow Racing with radio coverage at ArcaRacing.com. Also on Saturday, October 1st, at All-American Speedway, the Arkham Menard Series West will be racing at 9.45 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, that they will have the tape delay of that race on October the 10th at 1 p.m. Check your local listings. But you can watch the live streaming of that ARCA West event on Flow Racing, and radio coverage is always available at ARCAracing.com. Now, after October the 1st, there are two more races for the ARCA West and only one more race for the Arkham Menard Series. That will be on October 8th at Toledo Speedway. Um, the Arkham West will race at the Bullring in Las Vegas on October the 14th, and their season finale will be at Phoenix Raceway on November the 4th. 
So a lot to look forward to yet with the Arkham and Art series, but they are winding down their season, and we will soon know who the champions are in the Arkham and Art series and the Arca West. Well, for sure, in the main Arkham and Art series, I don't think we're going to know until Toledo. Um, we'll see what happens here on October 1st, but... You mentioned Rajah Karuth had a little bit of a hiccup, had fallen back to, I think, 38 points. He picked up some of them back. He's now 30 yeah. points back with these two races left. But Daniel Dye has closed back in in second to five points. Uh, there again, it had been about nine throughout the season. Daniel Dye back within five points. So for sure, a two-car battle going into these final two races. We'll see how um, this October 1st race coming up affects that, but I think a lot of it's going to come down to Toledo. Exactly. Now, there is a Menards Fan Fest uh, for at Toledo Speedway. There will be a past champion celebration to kick off that weekend. Uh, so that's the first time they've done that since 2011. So uh, if you can get out to Toledo Speedway, uh, for that race. That is the season finale for the Arkham and Art Series, and uh, the, you can find out all about that over at ArcaRacing.com, uh, where they talk about this Menards Fan Fest and Toledo Speedway past champion celebration to kick off the busy Arkham and Art Series championship weekend. So uh, it's a big weekend in the Arkham and Art Series at uh, one of their storied tracks. Uh, it's a home track, in fact, for the Arkham and Art Series. And uh, if you're out in Ohio, get over there to Toledo Speedway that weekend. And this is one of those where you've got to really give a shout-out to Menards and what they have put behind not just racing, but specifically the Arca Menards Series. Um, and then this Fan Fest, I know we've mentioned it several times throughout the year, of races in the local area of the Midwest that they are giving away tickets at the Menard stores. Uh, they just put so much into racing, especially at the short track Arca Menard series level. Yes, they do. And this is where you see the future stars of NASCAR. This is one of the feeder series. Uh, we just talked about Chris Busher being a former Arca, an Arca graduate, if you will, uh, and winning the NASCAR Cup Series race this past weekend. So uh, they like to honor those drivers that have done that. And uh, this is where the future stars of NASCAR come from. Now, most certainly, and, and I think back to, uh, I know it's now defunct, but the ASA Series was another one that we saw some NASCAR legends in, uh, Mark Martin, Darrell Waltrip, Rusty Wallace, you know, and this kind of evolved into a little bit broader with the ARCA series. So uh, most certainly, and you're right, they do a great job of talking about that as these guys hit that higher level. Um, and several of them, right now I'm trying to think, I think it was Austin Sindrick was another one that went back and did the broadcast with them um, yeah. over the weekend. That to, to see that interaction, some of them race with them still. I know Brandon Jones uh, raced several races this year is one of them go back and race with these. Grant Infinger, crew chief is crew chiefs for a team in the Arkham and Art series. <laughs> That's right. So you see a lot of NASCAR presence within the Arkham and Art series. And uh, I'll tell you what, if you haven't seen one of these Arca races, uh, they are fun to watch. Okay, we're a little ahead of schedule 
Jay, but I think we're going to need it for the Xfinity and Cup Series. Uh, so let's go ahead and do our Truck Series update. We'll go ahead and get that started and use that extra time that we have. All right. Does that sound good to you? Okay. Yep. <clears throat> okay, here we go. We're gonna. I'm going to tell you about the next race for the uh, Camping World Truck Series first. Uh, again, they are not racing this weekend in Texas. They will be back on track for the Chevy Silverado 250 at Talladega Super Speedway on Saturday, October the 1st at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So uh, mark that one in the calendar uh, because they are in their playoffs. And uh, we'll tell you more about it as we get closer uh, to that event, which is next uh, Thursday night. But uh, there are a few updates that we can share with you here. Trying to pull up down here where the truck series uh, starts. There we go. Well, it starts uh, with Natalie, Natalie Decker. Decker. Yeah, there you and go. That's right. Some notes here. Uh, gonna, Natalie Decker going to run at uh, Talladega, which will be the next race. And she is the highest finishing female in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, having a fifth-place finish at Daytona in 2020. She's going to get behind the wheel at a number 43 for Reum Brothers Racing at Talladega Speedway on that October 1st race. Decker has made 32 career truck series starts, posting that one top five and one top ten finish. Made her track series track debut at Talladega in 2019, where she started 19th and finished 16th. So uh, good to see Natalie Decker uh, back into the playoffs. Next, we're going to examine the Camping World Truck Series playoff field for Talladega. Uh, when they uh, return to action at that track, expect some hard racing as a lot's going to be on the line. Uh, so this is the round of eight drivers and how they performed at Talladega Super Speedway. Let's go ahead and start at the bottom and work our way up, Jay. All right. Well, Ben Rhodes right now takes up the final spot with 3,043 points. He has six starts at Talladega with one top five and one top ten finish. He's our defending champion as well. That is true. Uh, Grant Infinger, he currently ranks seventh, has 3,046 points. He's got eight starts at the Alabama track, which is considered a home track. He has one win in 2016, two top fives and a three top tens. Then uh, the next two drivers, these drivers are, are just below that cut line uh, for the round of uh, four, I guess it would be, yeah, <laughs> the championship four. Uh, so you know they're going to be racing hard. We'll start with Christian Eckes. He's sixth in the rankings and going to the next playoff race with 3,048 points. Uh, he has had one stint at Talladega Super Speedway, and in that race he did finish 18th. John Hunter Nemechek uh, sits in fifth in the standings. He has the 3,052 points, just four points ahead of Christian Eckes. And his six starts at Talladega, he has posted one top five and two top tens. Now we go and above Nemechek the top five. Nemechek may be racing for future there. We'll talk about that a little bit more as that ties into KBM. Yes. 
And then we got Stuart Friesen. Now he comes into the next race in fourth with point, 3,061 points. Got a total of five starts at the track with one top five and two top ten finishes. Zane Smith, currently a third. He was your regular season points champion, but right now is third with 3,073 points. He's given the 2.066-mile super speedway a go twice and unfortunately finished 33rd in both of them. Now, Chandler Smith, these are the top two drivers right now. He sits second in the standings with 3,076 points, just three points above Zane Smith. He has two starts at Talladega with one top five and one top ten finish. And at the top of that list, and the first driver to punch his ticket into the championship four is Ty Majeski. He ranks first and has racked up 3,053 points uh, heading into Talladega. Uh, this is going to be his first start at Talladega Super Speedway, uh, so he's got to be happy that he's already punched his ticket into the final four. Well, you said it right there, Sharon. First start at <laughs> Talladega, pressure's on. He's already locked in. He took that pressure off. <laughs> exactly right. Okay, we've got uh, those four drivers on the playoff bubble, though. Now, when we look at that, uh, we talked about it for the truck series. It's going to be four moving on and four not. So when we look at the standings following that round of eight opener at Bristol Speedway, the postseason competitors are tasked with trying to make that championship round of four with just two races to go. Mentioned Thor Sport Racing's Ty Majeski won at Bristol last weekend and has already clinched his spot into that next round, leaving three spots open. Helmar Friesen Racing, Stuart Friesen, said he's fourth in the final transfer spot on points to the championship for a round. He's only up nine points on Kyle Busch Motorsports driver John Hunter Nemechek in fifth. Behind Nemechek, we got Thor Sport Racing's Christian Eckes is in 6, minus 13. Then GMS Racing's Grant Enfinger, 7th at minus 15. And Thor Sport's driver, Racing's driver and 21, 2021 Series champion, Ben Rhodes, in 8th, currently at minus 18. We saw that coming in. Um, Thor Sport, you heard mentioned several times there, looking real good. But they got some work to do yet. Yes, indeed. Dimajeski's good, but there's other drivers that are going to be uh, going for that win. Okay, again, there's those three spots that are up for grabs, and we're heading to the wild card race, Talladega Super Speedway. So with Dimajeski's trip to victory lane, uh, there's now uh, drivers just have two opportunities. Uh, the first opportunity is Talladega, and then they go to Homestead, Miami, uh, and those drivers that are on top of the cut line will be the championship round of four, and uh, we'll find out who will join Ty Majeski. Now, don't forget, at least one driver will make that championship round on points, uh, making each finish in the final two races that much more imperative. So, uh, again, the only driver who has clinched his spot is Ty Majeski, uh, if there's a repeat win or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, uh, the following drivers can clinch by being 56 points above the third winless driver in the standings. 
the same point requirements would hold true if a new win comes among Chandler Smith or Zane Smith. So uh, that's the two drivers uh, that can clinch in that manner. Now, if there's a new winner from Stuart Friesen or another winner, a driver lower in the standings, but still eligible to advance to the next round, uh, Chandler Smith could clinch by being 56 points above the second winless driver in the standings. Now, those drivers that are below that um, cut line and those drivers that are not already clinched, uh, which includes the other seven drivers, Chandler Smith, Zane Smith, Stuart Friesen, John Hunter Nemechek, Christian Eckes, Grant Infinger, and Ben Rhodes, they can all clinch with a win, a win in your end. But only three drivers will be able to get in that way. Uh, possibly we'll see what happens at Talladega if it's if it's an uh, ineligible playoff driver that wins. Uh, then there might be two spots on points going into Homestead. That's right. So points could still be very, very, very important. Yes, now, we mentioned one that doesn't have to worry about it. Thor Sport Racing did put one truck in already, Ty Majeski, winning his way into the championship four rounds. And not only was that Ty Majeski's first NASCAR National Series victory last weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway, but it claimed that first berth into the championship four round set to play, take place at Phoenix Raceway with the championship season finale, and that'll be on November 4th. Now, Majeski will get to breathe easy, easy, as we mentioned, as the Camping World Truck Series takes the week off and then partaking in the Super Speedway action at the 2.66-mile Talladega Super Speedway. That race will be on October 1st. will be the first time Majeski takes on the 2.66-mile track in the Truck Series. Although it's a new track for him, he has proven his, he knows his way around a super speedway. In February's season opener, he won the pole at Daytona and ultimately finished in the seventh position. But I think it's huge just having that complete pressure off. He knows he's into the championship four round already. Exactly right. Um, I was looking to see if we had any... um news that we could share from the truck series, and there's not a lot. Uh, there is going to be new Wi-Fi connectivity for fans as part of Talladega Super Speedway's NASCAR Playoffs Triple Header Weekend, October 1st through the 2nd, featuring Yellowwood 500. So uh, that's going to be good for those fans that are at the track out there at uh, Talladega Super Speedway. It also, certainly is, and I know it, as I say, it may ahead. not seem like much, but these tracks that are doing all kinds of things, and I say it may seem like a little thing, but I know that's important to a lot of fans, especially in this generation, so that these things that they do to provide like that free, free Wi-Fi availability is huge steps in the fan interaction uh, at a track. Well, another event that's going to take place out there at Talladega is there's bull riders from across the U.S. that are going to compete and ride the lightning into Talladega infield. So cowboys from across the United States are coming back to Talladega Super Speedway for the second year to entertain fans with high-energy Ride the Lightning event on Friday night, September the 30th, during the track's 
NASCAR Playoff Triple Header Weekend. So uh, if uh, you're looking for something besides uh, car racing, stock car racing, they'll have the bull riders out there riding the lightning. That's an interesting combination there. Kind of makes me want to go over there. (laughs) You might want to check that out, Jay. I'm, I'm not doing no uh, no article on that one. I know I got the opportunity with the driving school. I'm not doing bull riding, though, just to write an article. I'll tell you that. Oh, darn. I thought I'd plant the seed. <laughs> no, uh, no, that one's not happening. I, ca- I can feel it. I can feel your thought process. I'm just letting you know that one up front. Okay. Well, we've got that worked out. Um but uh, a couple of things that will be taking place out there at Talladega Super Speedway for fans who want to go there. I know, Jay, you're in the area, so uh, if you do get a chance to go, let us know. Uh, but uh, it, it is kind of uh, – it sounds like it's going to be a fun weekend out there. And we'll tell you more about it next week when we do the preview for Talladega's Triple Header Weekend. Okay. And, and that one is in it. From my perspective, to add there, um, there is also the dirt track, the short track there, Legend Red Farmer. I don't know if you heard this, Sharon, uh, last weekend. Red Farmer, at 89 years old, picked up a heat race win. I didn't get to see how he did in the future, and it wasn't a gimme win. He went out there and put a hurting on him. Wow. Okay, so that's really cool to see. Red Farmer is... uh, one of the legends of NASCAR, and uh, to see that he still has it is pretty cool. Um, I kind of got ahead of myself here, Jay. I was supposed to go to Noah Gregson and his media interview this week. Uh, They interviewed all of the playoff drivers, and uh, Noah Gregson is kind of the hottest driver right now after winning three consecutive races uh, to end the regular season. Uh, in the Xfinity Series, and now they're starting their playoffs. So I thought this might be an interesting interview for us to listen to here tonight. Uh, it is 13 minutes and 34 seconds. I don't know if we'll be able to listen to the whole thing, but I'll try to get through uh, seven or eight minutes of it, and then you and I can talk on the other side. All right, good deal. All right, here we go. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us here on um, NASCAR Xfinity Series Playoff Media Day. We already have a bunch of questions for you here in the queue, so we won't waste any time. We'll go ahead and get started with Bob Pockers. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, Noah, you have six wins this year. I'm curious, do you look at the playoffs that no matter what happens, it's a successful season, or do you have to get to the championship four? Do you have to win the championship to make it a successful year? Um, I think we're really happy with where we're at as a team right now. I think we're happy um, as an organization with the amount of success that we've had so far this year, but ultimately the championship is the main goal in mind. And what we have been working hard for all year is to get to Phoenix and have at least an opportunity. It's it's a challenge just to get to the Final Four. Once you get to the Final Four, it kind of is what it is. and you have to have a good race there, but it's extremely challenging to get to the final four. And I think, uh, you know, like you mentioned, six wins this year. We want more wins. We want more stage points. 
Um, we want more top fives. We want to be consistent and, uh, you know, have strong runs. So learning, um, getting better each and every week. Um, being a championship team, that's what we're focused on, is executing at that level during these playoffs. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Next, we will go to Claire B. Lang. Go ahead, Claire. Thank you. You know, interviewing Ty Gibbs at the Care Center, he was just doing the media training kind of positive on every answer, not really saying anything because I think he was afraid if he went the other direction, he would be, uh, you know, off the chart or something, right? But he mentioned, he said, it's better for my mental health just to do this. When you jump into another series and you've tested the waters in copper, you've been, how is all this on the mental health of drivers? How difficult is it to kind of find your your place? You know, you do the wild celebrations, you kind of have found a little bit more who you are out there, but how hard is it? Um. I've been through some personal challenges in my life um, that no matter how good or bad my day goes at the racetrack, it's still a good day. So um, nothing affects my mental health in NASCAR uh, compared to things that happen in real life. So do you feel like you can kind of be yourself and – uh, your celebration was wild last week, and I'm sure you have other visions of what you'd like to do next. It seems like you're always topping what you did before, you know? Yeah, I just like to have fun. Um, I think, you know, for me, it's pretty clear. Um, and I've had those situations happen in life that put things in perspective of um, enjoy it while you got it and uh, enjoy your time with friends and family and teammates and coworkers and people within the industry and, and just, uh, you know, everybody that you meet, enjoy it because um, you never know. And uh, for me personally, I try to enjoy every time I'm on the racetrack. I try to enjoy every second of life, and uh, that's just kind of how I live day to day. Yeah, and to be clear, I'm not saying anybody has an issue with it, but that for young drivers coming in in general, it can be hard to kind of figure out how to navigate it all. I really appreciate it. Good luck this weekend, okay? Thanks, Cliff. Yep. Next question will come from Matt Weaver. Go ahead, Matt. Hey, Noah. Thanks for taking some time today. Um, when you guys go on a big run of success like you have right now, the, the winning streak, does that kind of embolden you to continue driving the way that you do, your style, your approach? Or does that start to put some pressure on you, too, that now it's like, oh, it's up to me to keep it going once you take the green flag? I mean, which way do you kind of lean? Yeah, I feel like personally, um, you know, just try to work hard throughout the week, um, no matter how this weekends go, if they're good or bad. But, you know, trying to work even harder now that it's the playoffs and – Trying to maintain this streak, I don't know. Um, I mean, we we're really pumped up as a team right now. Um, they've been going into the shop early before the guys start work, and we'll work out up there at Junior Motorsports and just trying to bond as a team, just trying to have fun. Um, it's it's hard to, yeah. I mean, we're we got momentum right now, but it's only as good as your last weekend, right? So. Um, 
we need to maintain that and, and keep working hard. So I think that motivates me um, to keep on having strong runs, uh, keep this momentum going, because I know this is a crucial and critical time for our team to be in a um, spot to roll on with momentum, um, race to race, and, um, you know, we want to keep that going. Let's assume you're going to be part of the, the round of eight because you guys very well should be, right? So, like, when you finally get there and the intensity ramps up and we're only going to have four guys in, only one could make it in on point, uh, does that encourage you to be, you know, even more aggressive to try to get a win? Or do you look at your points advantage because you should go into that round with a pretty good buffer to try to play it easy and, I don't want to say back your way into Phoenix, but just have a, you know, more conservative approach? I think we feel confident um, that we can win in the round of eight. We feel confident that we can win this weekend at Texas. Um, but ultimately, the round of eight is what we're looking at. Um, we have to maintain and have strong runs, finish in the top five in all three of these races, um, collect stage points. Yeah, we do have playoff points to lean on in this first round. But at the same time, um, anything can happen, right? It's... Um, you're not owed anything, no matter how your regular season goes. You're not owed anything, even if it's the round of 12. Look at um, these guys in Cup. I mean, look how many of them had problems. Um, I know the situation and circumstances are a little bit different um, with, uh, you know, the different series. But at the same time, you're not owed anything. You can't bank on anything. Um, and with that being said, yeah, hopefully we do get to the round of eight. Hopefully we're still in the playoffs and uh, we got Homestead. That's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, Thanks, Matt. Next, we'll go to Cole Cusimano. Go ahead, Cole. Thank you, Samantha. Thank you for your time today, Noah. Um, uh, you've been in the situation before, uh, winning races, being considered a championship favorite, and then something usually happens. Um, I guess what makes this run different compared to others you've had in the past? We're hungry, we're confident, we're motivated, um, we're having fun. I think with the time taken, um, you know, coming up on seven races to go, um, I don't want to say in my extended career, but um, for the next few years, going cup racing with Teddy GMS and being at Junior Motorsports, being my fourth year over there, um, we want to win a championship. We've been close. We had an opportunity to win a championship last year. Um, wasn't able to make it happen, and we want that same opportunity this year at Phoenix. And you've also been very vocal about your relationship with Luke this year. I'd just like to know, I guess, how you feel that the has progressed from week one to now entering the playoffs, and I guess anything else that comes to mind on him. Nothing's really changed. Um, I mean, normally it takes half a year, three quarters of a year to start figuring each other out. Um, crew chief driver. Communication-wise and whatnot, but I feel like we've meshed so well. Um, we really, really got something going um, right now, and really enjoy where we're at as a race team. I got full trust in him, believe in him. We have a great race team overall. It's not just Luke. Luke gets a lot of credit, but it's it's everybody involved. It's a big crew. It's the guys working on the cars um, on the road. It's the guys who work on the cars in the shop. Um, everybody who else has a helping hand, um, it takes everybody. And, uh, you know, we're just really enjoying, um, you know, our, our bond right now, our friendship with each other and working together with each other. And 
um, you know, just just have fun. Okay. Um, You know, Noah's one of those drivers that we've talked to during his Canon Pro Series days uh, before it was the Arkham Menard Series West and East and and, uh, the Arkham Menard Series. And when he talks about uh, some of the things that he's had to deal with in life, I'm familiar with what he's talking about there. And to hear his attitude about how, how much the racing means to him and the positive attitude that he has about being out on the track, I think is fantastic. Yeah, we always seem to be on the same wavelength. Uh, talk about that of the maturity level we've seen. And, and we've talked about it even a little bit this year but that I think we see a great maturity, and I think that's reflecting on the track with the hot streak he's been on, winning three races in a row. Um, but even his focus then is more on the positives of where he's at, what he can accomplish, what he wants to do, and keeping it focused on that. Uh, I listened to an interview with Luke Lambert on Sirius XM Radio, and he was speaking for himself, but also Noah and the team, and they were almost identical answers of what they're focused on, not sitting back and saying, oh, we got points and we've built the points, we're going to ride it out. Uh, it must have been on uh, Sirius Speedway with Dave Moody because you know, Moody was like, I'm not shocked to hear that Noah's going to go all out even starting in this first round. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just his style. Now, he has contained or curbed it a little bit, and we talk about that. Drivers do need that, need to be aggressive, but also maintain it um, you know, without going over the edge, stepping over that line. So I think we're seeing that. And Luke mentioned uh, not just for, for, for him, for Noah, for the team, as a team, this team, Noah moving on to uh, Cup Series with GMS Petty, Petty next year, you know, this is his last shot. He's been a contender for many years um, involved in the championship but not winning it. So that is a little bit of pressure focus. And like he said, of no matter what, yeah, it's been successful. They got the six wins or whatever, good year. But the championship is what they want. I think it is more so this year, knowing that he is moving on. Yes, indeed. And uh, uh, it sounds like it. He, he's like you said, they are in sync. Luke Lambert and uh, Noah Gregson, and uh, they uh, not only are in sync, but there's a value that I hear from uh, Noah Gregson. Uh, He's doing it not just for himself, but for his team uh, and what it means to them uh, in order to win and go after this championship as well. Uh, He's got got some tough competition, but if these last three races are any indication, he may be on his way to a championship, uh, winning three consecutive races to end the regular season and now heading into the playoffs. What better time to kind of bring some momentum with you? Well, and you talk about it in sync. Like I said, I mean, you almost wouldn't be able to tell the difference between that interview with Luke Lambert uh, speaking to Dave Moody versus Noah Gregson speaking to the, to the media session there. Different questions from different people, but the answers were the same. The team, the focus. You know, um, Luke mentioned some of the things that could be distracting. We mentioned Noah moving on. New driver, Brandon Jones, coming into the team. Yeah, they want to work towards next year, but right now they are focused on this team here right now and what they look to do in this championship battle. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly right, and that's exactly where their focus needs to be. And I'm glad to hear that. And you've heard, uh, you know, I've also heard Dale Jr. say some complimentary things about uh, Luke Lambert and Noah Gregson. And uh, uh, it, it, it's good that he's ending that relationship. Uh, and he talks about it, too, when he talks about his team, uh, you know, that, that everybody's working together toward the, uh, that common goal. Uh, but to have your uh, team uh, leader also uh, in that vein as well and supporting him through his growth uh, at Junior Motorsports I think is is very key. And uh, I know he's going to be good over at Petty GMS, but uh, it's going to be fun watching him end his, uh, this chapter of his career with Junior Motorsports. And I think it's a good foundation. I, th- I think so, too, and, and, and I'd be really curious to know exactly what kind of direct impact Dale Earnhardt Jr. had. Um, when we talk about some of these incidences Noel Gregson has been involved in, Jr. being a broadcaster is up in the booth as a team owner. Um, a lot of people question why he still had him as a driver, why he wasn't punishing him, and that was all done behind closed doors, as it should be. But I think mm-hmm. Dale stood by him and said, okay, he's got to grow. He's going to have to learn it on his own. There's certain things maybe as a team when you cross that line that need to be addressed, as NASCAR did at one point as well, um, to see him move on from that and not be holding bitter onto that or talking about that. He's talking about the positives moving forward, where they're at now and moving forward. Absolutely. But we wish him the best and uh... – uh, I think that was. Uh, I'm glad we picked that interview uh, to be the one for our show here tonight. Most certainly, and I, and I'm one. I've always been a fan of Noah Gregson's, and you mentioned some of the things. Uh, I think it was when we were at Chicagoland. Uh, that was one of his darker days, if you will. A couple of the times I got to, to interview him and ask questions. Yeah, he was struggling with that of that balance between on track and off track, um, being critical of the team. Um, not providing the best car. I, I think that was his first, maybe second year there with Junior Motorsports. So, like you said, to personally see that change in him, and I know um, yes. Sal has had some direct interaction with him. So to fully understand and know where he's been at, where he's at now, and where he's going is such a great thing to see. Yes, it is. And he's got fans. <laughs> he's got a lot of fans out there at the track every weekend. Okay, uh, again, I know we're a little bit ahead of time, but uh, we're going to go ahead and move on here to the Xfinity Series. Uh, I apologize to those people who maybe tuned in at 9 o'clock to hear Noah Gregson. I did get ahead of myself, and uh, we went into the Truck Series instead, uh, but uh, I'm glad we got that interview in and uh, we were able to talk about it, Jay. Most certainly. Uh, you're right. You selected a great interview there. Um, I hadn't had a chance to hear his. Like I said, I heard Luke Lambert's from Media Day, but not Noah Gregson, so it was a great one to hear. All right. Uh, moving on to the NASCAR Xfinity Series. They are racing this weekend the Andes Frozen Custard 300 at Texas Motor Speedway this Saturday, September the 24th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the purse is over a million dollars, one million four hundred and thirty-four thousand five hundred and thirty-seven. Uh, it will be televised on USA Network at 3 p.m. Eastern. 
it's also on the radio on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 300 miles over 200 laps. The first two stages are 45 laps each with stage one ending on lap 45, stage two ends on lap 90. The final stage will end on the last lap, lap 200, for 110 laps. What do we have here for the Xfinity Series, Jay? Well, we're going to start with a couple of drivers here that are making some additional races. I'll start with Brennan Poole, as he joins JD Motorsports for three races. Now, he is running seven NASCAR Xfinity season Series races this season, and now is going to compete in three more, Texas, Homestead, Miami, and then Phoenix with JD Motorsports, and that'll close out the 2022 season. A Texas native, Poole has made five Xfinity Series starts at Texas Motor Speedway and posted two top ten finishes. Okay, so that'll be good uh, to see him back on track. Also, Jeffrey Earnhardt is going to run at Texas this weekend. He's returning to Texas Motor Speedway for the second time this season. He'll be behind the wheel of the number 26 Sam Hunt Racing Toyota. Uh, it'll also be his ninth start this season with Sam Hunt Racing and 11th overall in 2022. In total, uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt has nine Xfinity starts at Texas Motor Speedway, and in those starts he did get one top ten finish. So it'll be fun to see what he does this weekend out at Texas. Well, we're going to start talking about the Xfinity Series playoffs and where you start those playoffs definitely matters. When it comes to winning that Xfinity Series championship, where a playoff driver is originally seated entering the postseason matters because the lowest-seated driver to win a title in the series was last season's champion Daniel Hemrick, who started the playoffs as the sixth seed. Now, four of the six playoff season championships were won by a driver who started the playoff series, uh, playoff seeded inside the top three. We're going to take a quick look here at the playoff era and the seedings where they started their championship runs. Uh, 2016, Daniel Suarez was a champion. He started as the number three seed. 2017, William Byron entered as the number one seed. 2018, Tyler Reddick was the number five seed. The name's the same in 2019, but a completely different scenario. He was a uh, number three seed there with a different team. In 2020, it was Austin Sindrick. He entered as the number two seed. And in 2021, as I mentioned, Daniel Hemrick was the number six seed. So oddly enough, the number one seed out of that only one time, but top three, very key, obviously. Obviously, yeah. And Daniel Hemrick, the furthest uh, back seeded, uh, to win the championship, and ironically, it was the first uh, career win for Daniel Hemrick, and uh, he won the championship at the same time, so uh, definitely an exception to the rule there. Okay, next we're going to take a look at the uh, playoff grid for the Xfinity Series. Uh, the 22 uh, regular season is over, and now we have our 12 drivers locked into position for the postseason. Noah Gregson, Ty Gibbs, Justin Algauer, A.J. Allmendinger, Josh Berry, Austin Hill, Brandon Jones, Jeremy Clements, Sam Mayer, and Daniel Hemrick, along with 
Riley Erbst, and Ryan Sieg. Now, those drivers will have to give it all they have in these next three races, which includes Texas, Talladega, and the Charlotte Roval, in order to earn their spot into the round of eight. So let's take a look at each of those drivers. Let's go bottom up, Jay, uh, from the the 12th seated driver uh, to take a look at uh, how they uh, fare at uh, Texas Motor Speedway. All right. Well, I'll start with Ryan Sieg, and he certainly had uh, an eventful way to come in. This this season marks the fourth time, though, he has qualified for the playoffs, and he takes his final spot. We'll start with 2,001 points. He's made 17 starts at Texas Motor Speedway, having posted three top tens. You want me to do two or every other? Two. All right. Uh, Riley Herbst, he's uh, entering his third playoff, uh, appearance in the, as the number 11 seed. He'll start with 2,002 points. In five series starts at Texas, he's posted one top 10, which came eighth earlier this season. Okay. Next up, we have Daniel Hemrick, last year's Xfinity Series champion, comes into his fourth playoff appearance as the number 10 seed. He has 2,003 points. He has seven starts at Texas Motor Speedway. He's posted three top fives, four top tens, and he has 149 laps led. Uh, he finished 11th at Texas earlier this season. Uh, above him is Sam Mayer. He comes into his first ever postseason as the number nine seed at 2,005 points. He has two starts at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, that includes one top five and one top ten finish. He finished third at Texas earlier this season. So some of these guys at the bottom have had some good finishes at Texas. Well, and they're going to need to repeat it. Another one, his third playoff appearance, Jeremy Clements. Now he comes in as the number eight seed, picking up, uh, being given the victory back, comes in with a 2005 points. Uh, he's had 27 career starts at Texas Motor Speedway, best finish of 11th. He finished 16th at the 1.5-mile track earlier this season. Brandon Jones, he's going into his sixth career Xfinity Series playoffs, comes in as the number seven seed, got a few more points with 2010. He has 13 starts at the Fort Worth, Texas track, two top fives, six top tens, and 49 laps led. Okay, next up we have Austin Hill and then Josh Berry. Austin Hill, the Sunoco Rookie of the Year contender, enters the playoffs as the number six seed with 2,016 points. Now he has three starts at Texas. He's put up one top five and one top ten finish. His most recent finish at the track earlier this season was fifth. Josh Berry is in his first ever Xfinity Series playoff. He comes in as the number five seed with 2,022 points. That's kind of interesting because this is 2022 year. Uh, He only has two starts at the Texas track and uh, one top ten finish to show for it. He has led a total of 46 laps, though, all of which were racked up at the May race earlier this year. And we move up to the regular season champion, A.J. Allmendinger. He was the 2022 regular series, series regular season series champion. 
as he enters the NASCAR playoff seed number four, though. He's got 2,032 points in his second postseason appearance. His three career starts at Texas Motor Speedway, three top tens, and a total of 21 laps led. And we'll get into where we said it's important, the top three. Justin Algar making his seventh playoff appearance. Algar comes in as the number three seed, starts with 2,033 points. His 24 starts at Texas. He's posted five top fives and 13 top tens. His best finish as second came in 2021 and has led a total of 226 laps. Most recent finish at the 1.5-mile track was fourth earlier this season. Okay, the top two drivers now, and uh, this will be a battle to watch. Ty Gibbs is making his first playoff appearance this season. Comes in as the number two seed at 2,038 points. His first and only start at the 1.5-mile Texas track was earlier this year. He started in seventh and finished 12th. At the top of the list, number one seed with 2,051 points is Noah Gregson. He's marking his fourth time competing in the postseason, and in his seven starts at Texas, he's posted two top fives, three top tens, and one pole. He has an average start of 11.4, an average finish, though, of 17.3, and he's led a total of 88 laps. So it's going to be fun to see which one of those drivers uh, come. Well, hopefully it will be one of those 12 drivers that will come up with the win, but it could just as easily be someone from outside the top 12 that wins. Well, and we heard there the finishes there, especially in this race earlier this year, uh, going to be tight at the top. It is indeed. Now what better place for the Xfinity Series playoffs to kick off than in the Lone Star State? The NASCAR Xfinity season will be kicking off their postseason with the Andes Frozen Custard 300 happening at Texas Motor Speedway coming up here on September 24th. It'll be at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. I think Sharon hit this. The USA Network, the NBC Sports app, PRN, and Sirius XM Radio will have radio, uh, coverage. Give a little background. The Fort Worth, Texas 1.5-mile track has hosted 43 Xfinity Series races produced 23 different race winners and 25 different pole winners. Chase Elliott became the track's youngest winner in 2014. He was 18 years, 4 months, and 7 days old. While Jeff Purvis was the oldest winner in 2002, he was 43 years old, 1 month, and 18 days. Can't talk about records without Kyle Busch. He holds the record at Texas Motor Speedway for the most poles with 4, wins at 10, Top fives at 17, top tens at 18, lead lap finishes at 20, and laps led at 1,795. Now, here's where Sharon alluded to. The track is a place of first. Some drivers have posted their first wins in the Lone Star State. Dale Earnhardt Jr., 1998, Kurt Busch in 2006, Trevor Bain in 2011, Chase Elliott was in 2014, Eric Jones in 2015, as they all grabbed their first Xfinity Series win at the 1.5-mile track. A NASCAR Cup Series regular, Tyler Reddick is one that snagged the NASCAR Xfinity win at Texas earlier this season, but not entered into this weekend's race, so we won't see that back-to-back winner. 
However, we could see a repeat winner in Victory Lane. The NASCAR Camping World, yeah, the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series regular John Hunter Nemechek won last season's Fall Texas race, and he's entered into the Andes Frozen Custard 300 this weekend, making him the only previous winner entered into the race. Now, the Xfinity Series will jumpstart a doubleheader on Saturday, um, the 24th. They'll have practice at 10:30, 5 a.m. Eastern and qualifying at 11 a.m. or 11.05 a.m. Eastern. Again, that'll be on USA Network or streamed on that NBC Sports app. All right. Uh, now then, Grayson is looking to uh, tie Sam Ard's consecutive wins record at Texas. We've mentioned earlier that he has three consecutive wins already. Junior Motorsports Rising star Noah Gregson not only claimed his NASCAR Xfinity Series leading sixth victory of the season, but also his third in a row, becoming just the tenth different driver in Xfinity Series history to take the checkered flag in three or more consecutive races. Uh, Hailing from Las Vegas, Gregson will roll the dice once again and see if he can tie Sam Ard's Xfinity Series record of the most consecutive Xfinity Series races one in a row at four this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. Now, Sam Ard currently sits as the only Xfinity Series driver to win four consecutive races, a feat that he accomplished in 1983 and a record that has stood for 40 years. Now, following the following season in 1984, Ard went on to once again manage three consecutive wins, and since then, nine other drivers have joined him, including Noah Gregson, Austin Sendrick, Christopher Bell, Kyle Busch, Ryan Newman, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Mark Martin, Harry Gant, and Larry Pearson. So uh, really cool uh, to see that uh, Gregson has that chance. He will be moving up to the NASCAR Cup Series next season, so he's looking to finish his final full-time season in the Xfinity Series with a title. But the first driver, the number nine Chevrolet, will have to tackle Texas Motor Speedway. In his seven starts at Texas, he's posted two top fives, three top tens. And when the Xfinity Series was earlier there, there earlier this season, he proved he had the speed as he won the pole, but he fell back to, victim to a crash on lap 95, and he ended up finishing 36th. He's certainly going to want to do a little bit better than that going forward this weekend. Well, and I think he certainly will, as we've seen they're on point right now. Another one that's been on point is A.J. Allmendinger, as he becomes the first to win back-to-back Xfinity regular season championships. Driving for Colleague Racing, Almendinger is a two-for-two two when it comes to bagging that NASCAR regular se- series season championships, the first driver in history to do so. Other drivers that have earned a regular season, se- regular season championship, that Elliott Sadler did it in 2017, Justin Allgaier in 18, Tyler Reddick in 19, and Austin Sindrick in 2020. Of the five regular series champions, only two have gone on to win the overall season title, 
mentioned those. Tyler Reddick in 2019 and Austin Sindrick in 2020. But Almendinger intends to add his name now to that list this year. By clinching that NASCAR regular season championship, Almendinger snagged the additional 15 bonus playoff points that he was able to carry with him throughout the postseason. That can be very important. As he heads into his second playoff stint in the Xfinity Series, he will look to better his record, perhaps add another win to his resume. In 2021 playoffs, he posted one win, two top fives, and five top tens, and earned a spot in the championship four round, ultimately finishing the career best of fourth in the final championship standings. Living up to his name as a master of road courses, his one postseason win last year was on the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval. In fact, uh, Almendinger has won the 2.280-mile Charlotte course every single time he has competed in the Xfinity Series. That runs through 2019, 2020, 2021 at that very uniquely styled track. But first, Almendinger must get through this weekend's challenge at Texas Motor Speedway, a track he has run well at. In three Xfinity Series starts at the 1.5-mile facility, he has put up three top tens and has an average, a stellar average finish of 7.0. So there's one we may want to look at as well. Yes, indeed. Okay, let's move on to the NASCAR Cup Series. They also are racing in their playoffs, the Auto Trader Echo Park Automotive 500 at Texas Motor Speedway. That race will be on Sunday, September the 25th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The purse for this race? A hefty $8,455,617. It will be televised on USA Network at uh, 2.30 p.m. Eastern, as well as the radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 501 miles over 334 laps. The first two stages are 105 laps apiece, stage one ending on 105, lap 105, and stage two on lap 210. The final stage ends on lap 334 for 224, I'm sorry, for 124 laps. So uh, we'll go to our our Cup Series coverage here. Well, and it always starts with the pre-race. And that's going to include Daughtry as they'll perform a pre-race concert at Texas Motor Speedway. Daughtry is a multi-platinum rock band performing the pre-race concert for the NASCAR Cup Series Auto Trader Echo Park Automotive 500 on Sunday, September 25th at Texas Motor Speedway. Daughtry will perform a 60-minute set beginning at 1 p.m. Central Time on the pre-race stage that is near the start-finish line concert highlights the pre-race activities leading into the Speedway's 2022 NASCAR Cup Series playoff race. And it's the opening race of the round of 12. Daughtry is one of the most visible and consistently successful rock bands on tour, having sold more than 9 million albums and 16 million singles worldwide. All right. Uh, we also have the matchups this week, uh, so we'll take a close look at the featured maps, uh, uh, matchups so that fans can bet uh, heading into this weekend's event. So the first matchup we have uh, is Denny Hamlin versus Christopher Bell. 
So they lost uh, their lone Joe Gibbs Racing playoff teammate, Kyle Busch, this week as he was not able to qualify for the round of 12. So Denny Hamlin and Christopher Bell are the only Toyota teammates that are left in the playoff. Now, Bell was the first driver to lock himself into the round of 12 after putting together three quality races in a row. Uh, but both drivers run well at Texas, as Christopher Bell has two top fives and Denny Hamlin has one win. Sitting sixth and seventh in the standings, will one of these JGR teammates be the first playoff driver to record a playoff win and seal their spot into the round of eight? Uh, so I think that's an interesting matchup uh, as the only two Toyota drivers left in the playoffs. Well, we got another interesting matchup above that. We got Kyle Larson and Ross Chastain, two of the most aggressive drivers. Now, although neither driver got a win in those first three races of the playoffs, Ross Chastain and Kyle Larson both made safely made it into the round of 12. They find each other separated by just one point for third and fourth in the playoff standings. Larson led 256 laps and won the playoff race here last season, so he'll be eager to repeat that performance this week. And Ross Chastain will be looking to turn his luck around at Texas Motor Speedway as he has yet to post a top 10 in eight races here. Both of these drivers are no one to qualify well, so they should start with solid track position in this crucial round of 12 opening race. All right. Let's talk about Chase Elliott versus Joey Logano. Although he finished second, it was a much-needed race for Elliott, who got back on track and is once again the leader in the playoff standings. Now, as we kick off the round of 12 at Texas, Elliott holds a 15-point cushion on second-place driver Joey Logano, who's had a consistent start to the playoffs. Now, Logano holds a 16-point advantage in driver rating over Elliott at Texas and has the edge with two top fives in his last five races there. At a track like Texas, where track position is so crucial, it will be imperative that both drivers qualify well and avoid any mistakes. And isn't that the biggest thing, avoiding those mistakes? Uh, most certainly. The last matchup we got to cover, that's a fan vote one. We got Chris Busher versus Ryan Blaney. We talked about this a little earlier. Chris Busher's second career NASCAR Cup Series win came this past weekend at Bristol where he held off Chase Elliott and made it three consecutive non-playoff race winners to open the 2022 postseason. Fans voted Busher to be matched up with Ryan Blaney, who had avoided a scare this weekend when he broke a toe link, but managed to rebound and make the round of 12. Texas is one of Blaney's best tracks. He boasts a driver rating of 111. And he'll be excited to come back to Texas, where he won the All-Star race this year. Now, although Busher is ineligible for the championship, he's going to look to continue his great season and build more momentum for RFK Racing ahead of next year. Yeah, it's interesting. I think in the first round, we had three non-playoff drivers win the races. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see if we can get a playoff driver to win here at Texas. Okay, let's talk about when you that say, when you say When you say interesting, we were just talking about matchups and betting. I was thinking about that and what the odds at Vegas would have been on that of three non-playoff drivers <laughs> winning these first three races. Oh, I know. It's really amazing. 
Um, but let's talk about the all-star winner, Ryan Blaney, uh, and the return to Texas. You mentioned it uh, just a few minutes ago. Team Penske's Ryan Blaney has advanced to the Cup Series playoffs round of 12, uh, but he had a slow start to his postseason run by putting up just one top-10 finish in the round of 16. Now the North Carolina native shows up to Texas as the winner of the 2022 All-Star Race, which was held at the same facility back in May, now needing to boost his championship chase. Right now, Blaney sits in the eighth and final transfer spot on points in the Cup Series standings. He's up just four points on Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Briscoe, who sits in ninth, the first spot that's outside that round of eight cutoff. Now, this is Blaney's sixth uh, time racing in the Cup Series playoffs. He's been there since uh, 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22, and he's looking to advance to the round of eight for the fourth time in his career. He did it in 17, 19, and 21. He wants to do it now in 22. In addition to his NASCAR All-Star Race win, Earlier this season, the 27-year-old has made 13 points-paying race starts at Texas Motor Speedway, posting three top fives and seven top tens. He has a career-best Texas finishes runner-up in 2008, and he has an average finish at the track of 16.3. Now, heading into this weekend at Texas, the four drivers seated below Blaney in the playoff standings and currently ranked outside the round of eight cutoff are Chase Briscoe, who's down four points, Alex Bowman, down six, along with Daniel Suarez, he's also down six, and Austin Sindrick is down seven points. So this is a very tight battle uh, with these four drivers below the cut line. Any one of them put the, could put themselves above the cut line, uh, but that would mean there's going to be four other drivers far below the cut line coming out of Texas. Well, and flipping to the other end, coming out of the round of 16 is Oklahoman Christopher Bell as he emerges from that playoffs round as a contender. Joe Gibbs Racing's Christopher Bell entered the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series playoffs round of 16 as the 10th seed with the pedal to the floor. He was the only driver in that round to post three top five finishes and clinch his spot in the round of 12 prior to the elimination race at Bristol Motor Speedway. Plus, he also finished the round of 16 in playoff standings lead by not only finishing well, but by dominating his competitors uh, in stage points. Bell accumulated 50 stage points in those first three playoff races, which is 14 more stage points than the next highest driver, which was Kyle Busch with 36. Uh, Fortunately, they didn't help Busch. Uh, now that playoff uh, competitor reseeded for the round of 12, Bell is ranked seventh in the standings and just 27 points back from Chase Elliott in the playoff standings lead, four points above the round of eight cut line. This is Bell's second career appearance in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs as he's done it in the last two years, the 2021 and 2022. The Oklahoma native is looking to advance to the round of eight for the first time. He was eliminated in the round of 12 in last season's playoffs, ultimately finishing 12th in the final championship standings. But this weekend is looking fortuitous for Bell, 
Texas Motor Speedway, a track where he has excelled in three starts at the 1.5-mile facility. He's put up two top five finishes and an average finish of 9.0, which is second best among active drivers. Okay, we've done it again. We've run out of time here uh, to cover everything. So I'm going to do a little bit of a uh, Reader's Digest version real quick uh, with what's left here. Uh, we talked about Chris Buescher being the 19th different winner of 2022 and uh, winning that race at Bristol Motor Speedway last weekend. Uh, it was a big win not only for Busher but for RFK Racing uh, since Brad Keselowski joined the, uh, that organization earlier in the year. So uh, it'll be fun. Chris Busher, I think, is also from uh, Texas, so I think he's going to be one of the drivers to watch this weekend. Uh, I might, yeah, he is a Texas native from Prosper. Texas, so uh, it'll be fun to see if he's able to win in front of his hometown crowd. Also, the Round of 12 tracks uh, offer a slew of challenges. Uh, We mentioned it's Talladega Super Speedway, I'm sorry, Texas Motor Speedway up first. Uh, Then you've got Talladega Super Speedway and then Charlotte Motor Speedway, but they're racing on the Roval, not the Oval. So Talladega is always a wild card. Uh, the Roval is uh, more like road course racing. And Texas Motor Speedway, uh, even though it's a 1.5-mile track, is uh, very different from most of the tracks uh, that are 1.5-mile tracks. Uh, Clint scenarios, uh, you've got Chase Briscoe, Alex Bowman, Daniel Suarez. As we mentioned earlier, it's very tight at the bottom. Uh, but the three drivers that are above... Uh, that cut line, Denny Hamlin, Christopher Bell, and Ryan Blaney are all tied at 3,013 points. So they're four points above that cut line. And William Byron is just six points above the cut line. So that group of drivers are going to be racing very hard uh, to stay above that cut line, uh, as well as those drivers who are below looking to get themselves above. So that's going to be an interesting to watch this weekend, the first race. And then um, looking back at Texas Motor Speedway and some of the history there, uh, active Texas pole winners, you've got Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex, who have two poles, uh, Ryan Blaney, Austin Dillon, Brad Keselowski, and Kyle Busch all have one pole at the track. When we look at wins, Kyle Busch has four, Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick have three, and then it's Kyle Larson, Austin Dillon, and Joey Logano with one win apiece. And then finally, uh, the playoff race winners. Uh, there have been a whole bunch of them. Uh, I don't. I think I read earlier uh, that Texas uh, is not necessarily. I think uh, Kyle Larson is about the only driver who has won. I believe it was at Texas and went on to win the playoffs. Uh, typically, the Texas winner is not a predeterminer of who is going to be the next champion, but uh, Kyle Larson is the exception to that rule. Uh, and I'm going off of uh, something that I read earlier about that. So uh, I think we've come up to the end of our uh, preview show here, Jay, and uh, I wanted to check and see if there's anything else that you wanted to add there. 
No, this is going to be interesting. You mentioned the, the three tracks, Texas Motor Speedway, Talladega, and then the Roval. I know the, Talladega is the wild card. The Roval uh, certainly can be interesting. I'll just put it that way. Obviously, road course uh, racers have a little bit of an advantage, but it's a little unique, too. Uh, good track for Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney, so we'll see where they're situated. And I know that when we were looking at the clinch scenario, um, we saw this even in the round of 16. Chase Elliott starting with the 40 playoff points built up. Um, mm-hmm. You don't want to have to depend on quick. those because that got really <laughs> tight. So you don't want to depend on those uh, if if you can at all help it. So my my clinch scenario is win and you clinch your way into the championship uh, four <laughs> round of four. Exactly right. Keep in mind that Charlotte Roval is the elimination race for this round of uh, 12. So they will pare down to just eight drivers uh, when that Charlotte Roval race is over. So uh, four drivers will be eliminated. But it's going to be fun to watch, Texas, Talladega, and the Charlotte Roval. All right, uh, we're coming up on the top of the hour here. I see that Mike is here, so I'm going to bring him into the queue and uh, we're going to say welcome to the show, Mike. Hello. Good to, have, uh, good to be here tonight. Okay. I got you in a minute early tonight to make up for all those times we've been a minute or two over. So uh, when we can do that, we'll do it. Um, Mike, uh, since you're new to the trio here tonight, why don't you kick us off with the first hot topic? Well, this is probably not going to be the one you thought I was going to lead out with, but I'm going to start with it anyway. We thought we had Kyle Busch figured out for what rides he was going to have, and maybe that's the case in the NASCAR Cup Series, but it looks like McLaren, of all things, may be putting together an Indy 500 car for Kyle Busch for next year. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, as soon as the, yeah, as soon as the announcement was made that he was coming back to Chevrolet, and I don't know if it was Joe Gibbs Racing or Toyota that was apparently against this and didn't want to see it happen. Um, as soon as the announcement was made that Kyle Busch was going to RCR and Chevrolet, there were rumors of sponsors and everything that started to fly about that. And Kyle said, uh, I think in his uh, media interview with it of it was at least now a possibility and he would like to entertain it. And since then, it has just been picking up steam. And as Mike mentioned there now, McLaren uh, picked up on it and said, hey, we have a lot of interest in it. So I'm one, I've always liked to see drivers uh, do it. I think back of Kurt Busch, Tony Stewart, Robbie Gordon, and I think A.J. Allmendinger. Uh, I don't have official stats on that, but those are the four that I can think of that have attempted it. Um, I'd have to do some research on who came the best out of it, but I know Kurt Busch as a rookie, I believe he finished sixth in his uh, outing and trying it um, was certainly impressive. Yes, indeed. And I'll tell you what, uh, uh, this is really good news for Kyle Busch. And we've seen other drivers come from other series into NASCAR. Uh, so I'm glad to see that we've got a NASCAR driver willing to go into a different series. And, and especially the Indy 500. There's no bigger race than the Indy 500. And uh, I think Kyle Busch deserves to be on that stage. So if they can make that happen with a team like McLaren, uh, I think this would be uh, really good, uh, not just for Kyle Busch, but for NASCAR and for IndyCar as well. 
to do that crossover promotion. So uh, I'm really excited about it. Mike? Well, this is going to segue in nicely. I forgot to do it when I opened. But if you haven't set your DVR yet, do it now. Race for the Championship started about two minutes ago. It's an outstanding show. Brad Keselowski is one of the featured drivers this week. But last week, Kyle Busch was one of them. And he, in one of his interviews that he did, he kind of alluded to how he wanted to do other kind of racing beyond the scope of NASCAR. Um, he didn't say it directly, but he kind of sounded like there's some special rules for Christopher Bell. We know he does a lot of dirt racing outside the purview of NASCAR, kind of like Kyle Larson does. And it sounds like there may be a bit of a unique relationship and arrangement there with Joe Gibbs Racing that the other drivers, particularly Kyle Busch, were not allowed to participate in other things to include the Indy 500. So it may well have been the rules and contract stipulations that Joe Gibbs racing that were preventing Kyle Busch from pursuing this Indy 500. And now that he's no longer going to be part of Joe Gibbs racing for next season, well, he's free to try it. On top of that, it makes a lot of sense. McLaren obviously is a a, a well-known sports car manufacturer, but in the IndyCar series, their cars are powered by Chevrolet engines. Well, Kyle Busch is getting ready to go drive for a Chevrolet team. His uh, KBM truck series team is also switching over to Chevrolet. So why not try the Indy 500 in a car powered by a Chevrolet engine? It sounds like a natural fit. Okay, Jay. Yeah. And this is one of those uh, of uh, as fans anyway. And I'll tell you this, I am not a huge Indy car fan. Uh, the Indianapolis 500, obviously one of those, you, everybody I think kind of keeps an eye on. It seems like for some reason in the past several years, they have pushed and tried to make this where it couldn't be done. And I I never understood that. Uh, Again, obviously, I'm not in their marketing or their uh, whatever departments that that handle this, but the way they scheduled start times, it seemed like they were trying to make it impossible to do it. I see a lot of benefits from it, Uh, and myself as a fan, one of them, when Kurt Busch ran it, when Tony Stewart ran it, I was watching. I was interested in that as a NASCAR fan. So I, I, I only see the benefits. Um, I don't, I know there's risk with it as far as when it comes to the driver, but from a promoter standpoint, from a sponsor standpoint, I, I just see benefits from it. So I hope that Kyle Busch does get the opportunity. He is one of those, whether you like him or not, his attitude, whatever it be, he's got talent and I think can put on quite the showing. Um, so I hope to see it happen. All right. Now, I just want to mention, and I didn't get to mention this earlier, uh, but talking about crossovers, there's another crossover, and I wanted to bring this up under short tracks, uh, at Texas Motor Speedway. It's happening right now as we speak. Uh, Christopher Bell Micromania, uh, the wait for that is over. Uh, there's three nights of racing and over 150 cars, and half of them will take to the track uh, tonight. Uh, so if you have dirt vision, you can watch it there. But Brexton Bush and Kyle Bush are part of this, as, as well as uh, obviously uh, uh, Christopher Bell. So this is all a lead-up into the NASCAR weekend that's taking place uh, there this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. And uh, for those who don't know, uh, we mentioned it earlier, Christopher Bell is a um, uh, 
from Norman, Oklahoma, and this is as close as you get to his home track. So I'm really glad to see him doing that this weekend as well uh, as we're talking about different crossover things uh, that the drivers are doing. These are sprint cars uh, that they're driving. So, uh, again, Kyle Busch, I think he'll be a good fit uh, for that crossover with the IndyCar. I don't have a whole lot to add there. Uh, so that's why I wanted to use up my time with the uh, Christopher Bell Micromania that's happening at Texas Motor Speedway for the next three nights. Mike. Well, I'm going to take the time right now to agree with Jay because I'm sure we're going to – if this if we go the direction I'm thinking we're going to go here soon, there's going to be plenty of room for disagreement. But uh, I'm going <laughs> to strongly agree with Jay that a rising tide lifts all boats when it comes to motorsports promotion, especially in the current climate where there's – been kind of a decline over the past decade to 15 years in overall interest in motorsports in the U.S. If we can get fans interested in a kind of motorsport, whether it be Formula One or IndyCar or NASCAR, interest in one might lead to interest in the other. So if we can have some crossover promotion, whether it's Kyle Busch running the Indy 500, Kimi Raikkonen running the cup race at Watkins Glen, or some other crossover where big names from a different discipline are going and trying out as a guest in a different, you know, something that they're not used to, I think that there's nothing but benefits there. I don't know what the schedule overlap is going to be. Jay's right. It's become more difficult uh, because of scheduling, not so much the start times, but the pre-race stuff that you have to be at. It becomes more difficult to, to run the double than it was maybe a decade or two ago when a lot of the guys were doing it. I'm not sure what kind of workarounds can be done. Airplanes haven't gotten any faster, so there's still it takes a certain amount of time to fly from Indianapolis to Charlotte. And can you make it work? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I could figure it out, but, uh, but it, there's going to be a lot to be to to look at here. Whether or not Kyle Busch can run the Indy 500 and the Coca-Cola 600, I would assume his NASCAR commitments would take priority. But hopefully, they can figure out the schedule to make both of them work because I'd love to see it. Okay. Uh, Jay, you get to bring up the next hot topic. Well, I saw Mike chime in on this, and, and Sharon and I talked about it, and I said I really had to kind of bite my tongue uh, some then, if you believe that I did that or not, I don't know. But we had a, the NASCAR <laughs> Weekly Series Championship determined by a what they called an audit that the things got looked at throughout the season some changes made to some race results determining the champion uh mike what are your thoughts on that well i don't follow that series at all i i saw a thread about it on reddit earlier today and i don't know if it was the same article that you linked or it was a similar article talking about the same thing i couldn't tell if there was any allegations of uh kind of some, some shenanigans there, whether or not the, the guy who ended up winning the championship was intentionally packing the field with start and park kind of cars, or if that's just the way it worked. But either way, the, the way that format uh, fell, man, it, it makes the NASCAR Cup Series playoff format look easy to follow and understand because you've got weekly series drivers eligible for certain races, and they can run without a NASCAR license, but those guys don't count for points. And if somebody falls out of the second half of the race, well, that whole race doesn't count for points. I, I could not wrap my head around that, but it was an interesting story to see, that's for sure. Jay. Oh, no, I guess I'll go next. Um, yeah, I think that the issue was that 
uh, they had to have a full field of drivers, and one of the drivers in one of the races when NASCAR did their audit was actually unlicensed and not eligible to be in that race, which meant that that race uh, was no longer a full field, which meant that it could no longer count toward the championship. Peyton Sellers went into the races this weekend thinking that he was just uh, a couple of points away and uh, knew what he had to do, and he went out and did it. Um, And uh, unfortunately, uh, this kind of thing is not unheard of within this series. Uh, This is the NASCAR Weekly Touring Series. And it is complicated because uh, you can can manipulate it a little bit. For instance, uh, in order you have to have that full field. Well, Lane Riggs, the guy who was announced as the race winner, actually opted to not race in the second event, uh, so it was not a full field. Uh, And so that race did not count toward the championship points. So uh, that is part of the controversy about this. Uh, But when NASCAR did their audit, they found the one driver that was unlicensed, and they found another driver that entered intentionally uh, did not race the the specified, I think, what was it, half the race? They have to race at least half of the race in order for that to qualify, and they raced less than half that race, and so they did not qualify for the full field again, and so the winner of that race uh, was not uh, was not counted toward the championship total. Uh, understandably, Peyton Sellers is a little upset. I think he won one or two of those races, uh, that were audited out. And so it took away points that made him eligible for that championship. And in the process, it also, uh, allowed the championship to go to Lane Riggs, uh, who is now the youngest. Uh, a champion in their history for that series. And coincidentally, the previous youngest driver to win that championship was Peyton Sellers. So uh, a lot of controversy there about how this happened. Unfortunately, controversy in this series, and for all of those reasons that we just described, uh, is not uncommon in that series. So Jay and I, when we talked about this earlier, uh, made a recommendation that maybe NASCAR needs to look at this uh, and maybe make some modifications to make it, one, less confusing for uh, people like like us or like you, Mike, that may not keep track of each of the weekly touring series every week, uh, but, you know, have an interest in maybe who the champion is. Uh, and maybe not necessarily wanting to see that kind of controversy around crowning a champion. So um, it, it's just a, it's just interesting uh, how it all played out. I, I empathize with Peyton Sellers. I know he's got to be frustrated uh, by what happened, uh, but at the same time, I'm happy for Lane to win that championship. Uh, I don't really have a stake in who wins or who loses. Uh, but I can see both sides of the story without a doubt. And, Jay, I know you've got some insight on it because you this is your venue. Well, and, and yeah, I did. I kind of went over it earlier um, real quick of your local dirt track, different classes. You can take your car and move up a class. Um, we have the same type of system, point system, where you get max points, and I believe it's eight if you have eight cars for your starting field. 
So if four cars move it from the factory stocks to the street stocks, you have your full field, but you're competing against cars that, barring anything unusual, aren't going to be truly competitive. Um, and that gives you your max points to win that race. I'm not a fan of that. And I'm not going to go name any names as far as when or where it happened because I don't want to do that, but I'm disappointed in that. Truthfully, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm happy for Lane Riggs having won the championship as the youngest uh, ever in the weekly touring series. But to know that he intentionally pulled out of the second race to make sure it didn't get full point, I'm not a fan of that. Um, Sharon, you mentioned it in football. You got the kneel down, refused to play, refused to run a play. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the kneel down in the NFL. And just so y'all know, I was severely disappointed, and I can't give you the year, I want to say 97 or 98, Jeff Gordon. All he had to do to win the championship was not finish dead last. Hendrick Motorsports got a car for Jack Sprague, started the race, pulled in the garage for five laps, came out on the track. If Gordon had a problem, Sprague was to come back in and make sure he stayed five laps behind Gordon. I was not a fan of that. I'm a huge Jeff Gordon fan, but I was not a fan of that. Now, the question becomes, and in this case, some of the things were, some of them weren't. Did they do anything illegal against rules? Yeah, kind of not. Um, So that's where the, to me, that's where the controversy comes in. If you're allowed to withdraw from a race, for whatever reason, and, and that's where I think I said it earlier, Sharon, the intent and whatever is hard to prove. Um, that's the problem. You know, maybe they did have a mechanical issue. Maybe uh, Lane Riggs did feel sick or whatever. That would be something that's tough to prove. But also, as and I know, Sharon, you'll agree with me on this. As a champion, you want any of that controversy, whether it be, hey, did you cheat throughout the year? Were you given an advantage? You want that as a champion to have that even doubt or question. And so... I think these drivers need to look more at that of how do you want to win the championship? Exactly. Okay, Mike, any follow-up there? Jay kind of brings up an interesting tie into the Cup Series race that we just had this weekend at Bristol. There was a lot of discussion about Kyle Busch after his engine malfunction, why the 23 and the 45, who had spent significant amount of time behind the wall of power steering issues, why both of those cars came out on the track and the 45 ended up making enough laps to pass Kyle Busch and take that one position point away from him. The 23 ended up parking it about five laps before he was going to overtake Kyle Busch. But there was a lot of discussion about would Toyota play games, manipulate, you know, park the 45 a lap short of passing Kyle Busch, or were they playing games when the 23 came in and parked just before he overtook Kyle Busch? Now, NASCAR did examine the 23 and, According to, uh, to what Bob Pocker said, they didn't get into details, but they said the damage and the reason for the 23 withdrawing was, quote, legitimate. But it's the same discussion like Jay brought up where Hendrick Motorsports had that jam car in there uh, back in the 90s to make sure that Jeff Gordon wouldn't finish dead last. There are ways to manipulate the race without a breaking a single rule. If a car qualifies for the race, they're entitled for, to have the opportunity to race. If a car is damaged or has a mechanical problem or the driver gets sick, well, you can't obligate them to stay on the racetrack when they're unable to continue. So how do you police this? It's really difficult to. Um, If a team has determined that the car is not mechanically sound to continue, is it really a good idea to have an official go there and say, nope, it's not broken enough, you need to go back out on the racetrack? 
I'm not sure where that line is. I don't know if we want to start drawing a line like that because it's really difficult to, to do so consistently. But you can see how these races can be manipulated. I would say a series like Arca right now would probably be even more vulnerable to manipulation like that because of how intermittent the field is. There's really only about, what, 10 or so full-time drivers in Arca who are competing for the yearly championship. So if you get a couple cars in there filling a field in order to make up points or provide a buffer to the bottom, it's not difficult to do that. And even if they're not your team, a lot of those teams are tight enough on cash where you slip some money under the table and maybe they discover something wrong with the car and need to withdraw after the first 10 laps of the race or something. It wouldn't be the first time it's happened in racing. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I'm saying that there's a lot of vulnerability, especially in the lower tier series where there's, there's not a lot of money and there's not a lot of teams competing for the championship. So somebody who's not competing can see an opportunity to make some money there without damaging their car. It's unfortunate, but it's kind of the way it is these days. Yeah, and and it's very difficult to manage, as Jay brought up earlier as well. How do you uh, how do you uh, determine intent? Uh, I think you know it, it's a it's a difficult thing for NASCAR to look at, but I think they they, they almost have to look at it. Uh, most of the rules that are put into place. Uh, within NASCAR or any sanctioning body uh, for any sport. Most of the time, those rules are put there because people have abused the existing rules and taken it beyond what it was intended for. So there's that word intent again. So um, uh, it's unfortunate, but a lot of times when the drivers complain about the rules, they have to remember that uh, some of them are the reason why those rules are in place. And as I've heard some drivers say in the past, uh, they can't manage themselves because of that intense desire that they have to win. They're willing to do just about anything they have to do to make that win happen. So that's why there's a sanctioning body like NASCAR in place to manage that. Uh, but intent is very difficult <laughs> uh, to determine in some cases, and uh, that's where it gets to be a slippery slope. Uh, but I do think that for uh, – I think fans want to see the integrity of their sport be intact, and they want to see a real champion uh, get that crown. So a real champion being somebody who hasn't manipulated the system uh, to their advantage. Right now, the vulnerability is there, and they haven't done anything wrong. Uh, you know, they're they're within the rule book right now. But uh, I think there are some things that NASCAR can do to make it less uh, easy for them to be within those rules uh, and less easy for them to manipulate it. Uh, if I had all the answers, I'd be part of NASCAR staff. I don't envy them. <laughs> it's always a tough task. But um, uh, I think there's people smart enough to make that happen. Okay, Jay? Yeah, and, and i got to end my, my portion here on, on apologizing to some fans. And, and I'll go with what Mike was talking about, the sput, uh, stuff that was going on about Kyle Busch, Bubba Wallace, and I don't remember who the other team was this past weekend at Bristol. When I first read that, Bubba Wallace's team, the 23-11-45, is racing for 
an owner's championship. They're going to want to go out and get all the points they can get. So I'm like, why are you trying to make that into something about Toyota's trying to screw Kyle Busch? Same with giving Kyle Busch bad motors and making him out of the playoffs. I'm like, you guys are exaggerating. You're ridiculous. Find something better to do. However, I have to say, hey, you have reason to question that because of situations like this where it's been proven that manipulation is happening. So I understand where they're coming from when they want to bring this. I don't always agree and think it's even happening at all, but things like this feed that reason to question things like that. And like Sharon said, I think there are some things NASCAR can do, um, or any sanctioning body for that matter, to reduce this and try to eliminate it. But the first one comes down to asking drivers, teams, whoever, to have some integrity. And I'm not going to go into that. That would be a whole different show and a different soapbox. (laughs) But um, there are some things that can be done um, to try and dissuade it. And like I said, the fact that NASCAR did look into it, the one of having an unlicensed driver in there, clearly a violation. They took care of that one. Some of the others are, again, maybe within the rules, maybe not most ethical, but everybody's got to make that decision on their own, I guess. Okay, we'll let that be the last word. And, Mike, you get to bring up the next topic. Well, I guess it's time. We've danced around it for two shows. This is the second show where we've kind of been stiff-arming it, but I guess it's time to have the discussion about Gen 7 car reliability and the issues that happened at Bristol. Uh, A lot of power steering issues. Martin Truex uh, kind of... He channeled the spirit of Kevin Harvick talking about, quote, unquote, crappy-ass parts. Kevin Harvick is selling T-shirts now with that same slogan on there. Scott Miller went on Sirius XM and said some interesting stuff, um, kind of paraphrasing, but he said, hey, these aren't just our parts, our meaning NASCAR. This, is a, this was a team effort by not just NASCAR, but the race teams themselves who all worked towards procuring these parts, designing them, selecting vendors, ensuring that the parts were made in accordance with the specification, et cetera. But he also said what happened at Bristol this past weekend with the uh, reliability issues, particularly with power steering, is not acceptable and something that they need to address going forward. So hopefully there, uh, we know there's, there's a tension on it. Obviously, if Scott Miller's talking about it, a lot of drivers are talking about it, there's a tension on it. Uh, but what, if anything, should be done before the end of the season? Okay, Jay. Well, I think it's already been done. My stance hasn't changed on this. I do not think you can point it at one finger or one part or one party to put the blame on. It's an industry conglomeration. Uh, the development, and yes, I understand NASCAR is in charge of it. Has Somebody has to make final decisions, if you will, but they took input. Now, I do think that when they did a lot of the preseason and pre-production testing, it seemed like a lot of it was done on Charlotte. It's a a mile-and-a-half track. Maybe some more should have been done at a track like Bristol. And it is tough to tell, too. You can go do a test, run five laps at Bristol. Okay, there was no problem. How much, and we talk about this on so many different things, how much does that change when you're talking about being in race conditions, and the drivers getting in there battling for points, what they're going to lean on that car and do to that car, 
the teams, how they're going to manipulate it to try and get the best advantage they can out of it. So I think it's an industry thing. I don't see it as a major, how do I say this, a major issue when you talk about there were out of 30-some cars, four or five that had a problem, okay? That's a percentage, a low percentage of the overall. So you can't say it's that part because not one single part worked. Is it something that they need to look at, NASCAR, as well as the parts manufacturers, as well as the teams of, hey, are we putting too much on this? What are we doing to push it to its limit or beyond? Yes. Look at it, try and make it better. But I, I just don't see it where you can say it's a, it's a huge problem and has to be fixed tomorrow, which case it's not going to be. You can't fix something like that tomorrow. Um, but I think there are some things that can be done to eliminate or reduce the number of times any failure happens. So, you know, I think about how come nobody's pointing the finger at Kyle Busch's motor, motors. Uh, well, they did, but they pointed them at the wrong spot. You know, it occasionally <laughs> happens. Uh, sorry. We said, we were, I said I was going to get off that soapbox. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes things happen. Sometimes they happen to more than one team. Maybe the teams were doing similar things. Don't know. Can NASCAR be involved in helping that? And to me, testing of different things, obviously a race situation. I know it, I understand for them, it hurt them in the playoffs and everything. Bad time to find it out. And I'll try and wrap this up as I know Sharon's going to want to talk here. Um, but work together and a solution can be made to reduce these things. You're not going to prevent anything. Personally, I kind of like to still see motors blowing up, things happen where you have that possibility, not all cars are indestructible. And, Sharon, I'll let you do your announcement. Okay. Uh, we're at that time of the night where I do an announcement for, our first, especially our first-time listeners uh, or somebody maybe who hasn't been on here for a while. Uh, just to let you know that we go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. That's going to happen here in just a couple minutes. Uh, but we do continue our conversation, and we, we record that part of our conversation as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. So uh, you'll hear us go off air. We'll be in mid-sentence. But just to let you know how you can hear the rest of that conversation is I'll go out on both Twitter and Facebook and let you know that the podcast is available. And at that point, you can go to our Fan for Racing player at fanforracing.com and just fast forward to that two-hour mark in order to hear the rest of that conversation as part of our uh, bonus overtime material for Hot Topic Sound Off. So, again, didn't want anybody to be caught off guard. And, Jay, was, was there more that you wanted to add there? No, not for this first round. Okay. I've been giving some thought to this throughout the day, and there's a couple points that I don't think we've brought up sufficiently yet. Um uh, I thought the article was very well written, and when Scott Miller said that uh, it's not acceptable to have parts fail the way they failed at Bristol Motor Speedway, uh, I think he's acknowledging that he understands the urgency of the situation. Uh, it's never acceptable when parts fail and several drivers are involved in that. But Jay brings up a very good point as well that it wasn't all of the drivers that had that issue, and that's what brought me to my next thought on this. Um, There is no other track 
on the schedule that's like Bristol Motor Speedway. Bristol Motor Speedway is unique, and one of the things that they did is they moved it from a flat track to a banked track at Bristol Motor Speedway. And so they have the load bearing is a little bit different, uh, unique. Let me put it that way. It's unique at Bristol Motor Speedway over any other track that they race on. Now, it didn't come up during the spring race because that was a dirt race, uh, but it did show up at this race at uh, this past weekend. Now, two things around that. Um, one is that this was the first chance that they had to really see in race conditions how those parts hold up. But the other part of that is that think about the drivers that have the issues. There are certain drivers that tend to get more out of their car than what the car is capable of, and it's because they know how to push that car to get more and how to, how to make that happen. But this is a little bit different car than what they've had in the past. And what they're doing maybe uh, to push that car is maybe exactly what brought up what that issue is. So this is a learning curve, and this is not just happening. NASCAR said from the very beginning, they said, this is going to be a work in progress. It's a process that we are going to go through to to learn what needs to happen to make changes. We may make changes along the way. We may not. We are not racing at a track like Bristol anymore this year. So an immediate change is not imperative at this point. They've made note of what has happened. They understand the urgency of what has happened, and they want to make those changes. And they will. I'm confident that they will make those changes, and they'll make those changes with the input of the NASCAR drivers, the teams, the manufacturers, and everybody that's involved. There has not been one decision that has been made about this next-gen car that has not involved the NASCAR drivers, the teams, and the manufacturers along with NASCAR. And that was their point in the article that we posted uh, by uh, who, was, who wrote that article. That was at uh, NBC Sports. So there's not been one decision that has been made without their input. So for teams to put all of the blame on NASCAR and call them NASCAR's crappy bleep parts is unfair because the teams had their chance to give their input. So they're as much a part of this as the other part. What I would like to see as a fan is rather than pointing fingers at one another, I would like to see them working together with one another and coming up with solutions rather than placing blame. Placing blame never solves the problem, never. Being part of the solution is the answer. And NASCAR has that door open for any driver, any team, any manufacturer to be part of the solution on this. So they knew it going in that it was not a perfect situation. It was going to be a learning curve, and there were going to be issues along the way. And lo and
and behold, we get to Bristol Motor Speedway, a track that they've not raced on, a track that is unique to any other track that they race on throughout the season, and boom, there's an issue that hasn't been revealed until they're under race conditions. They can't know that until they're in race conditions. So, again, I'd just like to see these guys working together instead of pointing fingers. I I think it gives the sport a bad look. And uh, I think that Scott Miller is exactly right. And, uh, Mike, you brought up a quote from um, uh, something from uh, Brad Keselowski. Uh, and he said something. I'm trying to see here where you said. You said, I like Brad Keselowski's take on it where he said, paraphrasing, that if they're racing the exact same car in 23 with no changes, it means that they, NASCAR and teams both, have failed in the process. I don't expect that there's going to be no changes in 2023, but if there are no changes in 2023, that's exactly right. It's because they, as a group, made that decision. Um, and I have I have more confidence. I think that they will make changes, and I think that they will make changes based on the feedback that they get from the teams and the drivers. And that's the process that works well is when they get that feedback and they work together on what a solution might be. So that means that teams and drivers have to give input on that, too. They can't just stand there and point the finger without giving some kind of input. So um, I, I do think that that's important. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Mike, it's your turn to be on there. That was quite, quite the soapbox there. All right, so Jay brings up a really good point that highlights – the differences here. He mentioned Kyle Busch and his two engine failures, uh, two out of three in uh, the previous weeks, one at Darlington, one at Bristol. And that's a completely different situation, and it really highlights the difference and why I think there's a lot of frustration right now with the whole process. Kyle Busch experienced two engine failures, but it's not the engine is not one of the spec Gen 7 parts. The engines are still built by the teams or in the case of Toyota, the TRD builds all the engines for all the Toyotas. They control that process. Yes, NASCAR sets the rules on how the engines are supposed to be built in terms of displacement and whatnot, but it's the teams themselves who are responsible for building them. And Toyota already came out and said, we found the issue. We have fixed the issue. It's not going to happen again. That that investigation and correction process is all in-house, and it's a much faster, at least it seems to be a much faster process than the one Sharon went over where we need to look at the problem, we need to investigate the problem, we need to get buy-in from all the different manufacturers and the teams and the sanctioning body and the parts manufacturers. None of that exists when it comes to engines. It's all in-house, and that's how it used to be with the race cars as well. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration is coming from, especially from older drivers like Martin Truex and Kevin Harvick, who are used to the era where if a team had a problem with the race car, that was their problem because they're the ones who built it. They're the ones who put the parts together. And when those parts failed, that was their problem to identify and solve. They didn't have to get permission or buy-in from anybody else. So with regard to the power steering issues that happened at at Bristol – It wasn't just one team or just one manufacturer. Yes, it seemed like the Toyotas had more severe issues with Martin Truex, Bubba Wallace, and Ty Gibbs all being taken out of the race with power steering issues. 
But Chase Briscoe in a Stuart Haas Ford, he lost power steering, I think, somewhere around lap 100. Alex Bowman in a Hendrick Motorsport Chevrolet lost power steering. I think all three Penske Fords had power steering issues as well. So this issue went across manufacturers, across teams, because it's all one. I'm, I'm pretty sure that there is no difference in the parts between the Chevys, the Toyotas, and the Fords in terms of the power steering rack. It's all one part sourced from one manufacturer. So with regard to these parts, not just the power steering system, but any part where there's a question of issue, there's, there's two big things that NASCAR needs to examine right here. One, is the design of the part sufficient for what we're asking it to do? For example, the power steering rack. Martin Truex said it blew the seals out of it, um, and that's how the fluid escaped out of the system. Well, is the seal that is built into that rack and the system that's designed to hold it in, is that designed to be sufficient for what is being asked of it? And if that's the case, the next question is, are the manufacturers producing the part correctly to the specification that NASCAR and the teams agreed to when they designed this car? And if they're not, they need to hold the manufacturers responsible to make sure that those parts are what they're saying they are. A good example of that is earlier this year where Zane Smith was disqualified from, I believe it was Las Vegas, because it was found that some of the lug nuts that were being used on his truck were not correct. And it turned out that they were exactly how it was delivered from the manufacturer, and a lot of teams knew about that issue. And the issue was that the lug nut manufacturer was not doing adequate quality control for the parts to ensure that the parts that they were providing to the teams actually matched the specification that they were supposed to be building those parts to. So quality control, if that's a big issue that needs to be addressed, I think that's something that could be addressed immediately. And then if there's a design issue, there's probably not enough time left in the season to really address it unless it's an, a, a quick safety-related fix. It's probably, with, with seven races left, probably not worth digging too deep into the design phase. But I think quality control is definitely something to look into and make sure that the parts that are being delivered to the teams are the very best high-quality parts that can be produced in accordance with the specification that was laid out and agreed to by everybody. Okay. Boy, do I have a lot to say about that. Jay, <laughs> I'll let you start. Well, well the, the, I know in the military, high quality control is a, a, a high item, so I know where Mike's coming from on that. And I do agree, but, but that is one of those that it does take time. And, again, I, can't, I wouldn't say it's any one person or group's fault. Um, I agree with Sharon that it needs to be a industry-wide working together. Um, the one thing I think about of even with the safer barrier, NASCAR did what they thought was prudent. They put the safer barriers up. They were a great thing. They implemented it, but they kept finding spots where cars were getting to that they just didn't think was possible. You know, once an accident happened, they said, hey, a car can get to this. They addressed it and put the safer barrier in there. Um, I know Jeff Gordon was involved in one of those. Uh, I think that was at Phoenix. So there are certain things, as we've talked about, though, that, yes, this track did expose maybe some things that do need to be improved on, but to say, oh, it's their fault or this blame and, and go that route and fix it, like Sharon said, uh, moving forward, I think they will. You know, Brad Keselowski said it. Hey, if we don't make any changes for next year and the car is exactly the same, then we got a problem. We've learned from it. We're going to improve upon it, whether it be the teams, NASCAR, the manufacturers, all of them together. So 
Um, the last thing I got to say is I don't want to see it necessarily all the time, but especially coming from Martin Truex, if you haven't seen the little I saw it on Twitter, uh, him having a discussion with his car or expressing his feelings was hilarious. <laughs> Okay, yes, he was he was pretty frustrated with his car, and I can understand the frustration. Let's go back to the Zane Smith incident with the lug nuts. What happened with those lug nuts is NASCAR said, yes, there's a problem with the vendor and you're not getting the lug nuts, uh, but before you use those lug nuts, it's the team's responsibility to check those lug nuts to make sure that they are the correct lug nuts. There were some teams that were doing that. There were some teams that were not doing that. The teams that were checking their lug nuts and making sure, that is the quality control process is my whole point. The teams have a responsibility before they put those parts on the cars. It is their responsibility to make sure that that is a quality part before they put it on the car. That's what NASCAR said then, and I'm sure that that's part of what they're saying now. Now, in this particular case, they could not know if the design and the parts were sufficient to handle the loading conditions until they were in race conditions. This is the first time that they were in the Bristol Motor Speedway race conditions and the first time that they had a chance for these issues to become revealed. So they are responding to that. They're saying, yes, that's not acceptable. They're saying, yes, we need to make changes, and they will. I have no doubt about it. So the race conditions is the only way you can test that. They said that at the beginning, as I said earlier, and every driver, every team, every manufacturer knew that going into this season. So there's nothing that has changed from the beginning of the season to now, except that it's the first time that they've raced on Bristol Motor Speedway to find out if the design and the parts were sufficient to handle the loads. Once again, I want to go back to what I said earlier. There are some drivers that can get more out of a car than other drivers. They know how to do it. It's typically the veteran drivers that have been around for a while, and they know how to get a lot out of their car. Sometimes it's a driver like Tyler Reddick who pushes his car to the limits, and he's going to get more out of the car than what it's maybe capable of giving. That's what happened at Bristol Motor Speedway. It's the drivers that push the car to its limits that had the issues. And it revealed some of the issues, and NASCAR is going to take care of it. Um, the other thing that I wanted to point out here as well, and don't let me forget it, um, is that, uh, oh, shoot, I'm going to forget it. Um, the NASCAR drivers knew going in, see if I can remember that point. Um, oh, this is it. Remember when Jimmy Johnson was winning all the races and everybody said, I like Jimmy Johnson, but I'm tired of seeing Jimmy Johnson win all the time? That was under the old system, <laughs> okay? NASCAR fans clamored, we want more parity 
in the race cars. So what did NASCAR do? They got to work, and they got to looking at what they could do to bring more parity into the race car. Well, guess what? We've got 19 different winners this year. Part of that is because it is a new car. Part of that is because the new drivers are probably adapting to this car a lot more quickly than the older drivers. So they are winning some of these races that maybe the other drivers would have won previously because the other drivers have to unlearn old habits and develop new habits with this new car. So we've got to to decide what we want. Do we want 19 different winners? Or do we want more parity in the system? Or do we want the same driver winning all the time? So NASCAR can't waver back and forth based on what the fans want or when something doesn't go according to plan. So we've got to remember why we got to where we are. And part of the reason we got here is because fans wanted more parity in the car. So now we've got it. Mike, you get the last word. Well, parity is great, and I wholeheartedly agree. We've seen some great racing this year. I'm very glad to see uh, new winners or guys like Chris Buescher who haven't won in in forever. I'm so glad to see so many of those guys getting into victory lane. That's the good side of the Gen 7 car, and I hope we keep that and it never goes away. That's why I don't really buy in with Denny Hamlin where he says we need a Gen 7 version 2.0. I don't think we need a clean sheet redesign of the Gen 7 car, but there are some issues that need to be taken care of. As a fan, there's nothing that I hate more. There's nothing I hate more as a fan than the perception that the outcome of a race is outside of the driver's control. And it really felt like that at Bristol sometimes where you're waiting for the next tire failure or the next power steering failure that's more or less out of the driver's control. And no, that is their job is to drive the car as hard as they possibly can right on the edge of control and get every single thing out of it. So you can't ask race car drivers to back it off because the car is going to break. So having a car that's able to withstand the rigors of race conditions is incredibly important. You're right. We haven't been to Bristol yet, but there were some lessons learned and some things exposed at Bristol. And when you have a race like we did at Bristol where you have these random mechanical failures, the outcome of the race almost feels like they should just put a bingo machine on pit road and start pulling numbers out and black flagging them. And that's about what it felt like sometimes at Bristol with these mechanical failures. So hopefully that we're able to look at the process, look at the parts in question, whether it be the power steering system, the wheels, the tires, the things that had issues at Bristol that we haven't seen before, make them better, not just for Bristol, but a stronger car for every other race and and limit some of these mechanical failures and put the racing back in the hands of the drivers to get the most out of them. That's what I'm hoping for going forward with the Gen 7 car. I think that's what we're all looking for, Jay, or Mike. Okay, um, let's let's uh, let's see. We've got a few more minutes here, Jay. You got a quick one for us? Well, I was lo- looking through there. Here, let me get back to our, our sheet. There, I had one I thought we could here in the final minutes. Um, oh, the changes at Dale Earnhardt Jr. Motorsports. That was one of them I saw. We got some executive changes. Uh, stri- I'm sorry. Strategic senior executive changes. 
Yes, indeed, Mike. So looking at the list there, the majority of changes aren't really changes in terms of role. It's, it's more or less a new title. So, for example, Kelly, Ar- Kelly Earnhardt is now the CEO of all junior associated brands, which she's more or less been in that position for a while. So she's in charge of not just Dale, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Junior Motorsports, the racing operation, but also Dirty Mo Media, his podcast and media company, as well as merchandise sales, managing the driver, you know, the talent of Dale Earnhardt Jr., that brand, and whatever other companies that are associated with that. Kelly Earnhardt has been and will continue to be in that role, but now her title is Chief Executive Officer. Really, the only change there is L.W. Miller stepping into, I think it was Vice President of Motorsports is, is what the actual title that they gave L.W. Miller, and that is a fundamental change. He is more or less filling the spot vacated by Ryan Pemberton earlier this year, and we talked about that about a month, maybe six weeks ago. So L.W. Miller, of course, has been a part of the Junior Motorsports and Dale Hart Jr. orbit, I guess you could use that term, uh, for quite some time. So he, he obviously knows the way the system works. He seems like he's done a very good job in whatever role that he's been plugged into. So I expect nothing but good things from him stepping into that VP of Motorsports role now. Okay. Um, yeah, I think there are a few more changes. Um, uh, they mentioned here is she's a very prominent female business person and making her CEO is long overdue. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that Kelly's going to be great in that position. She's always looked out for the Dale Jr. brand, and uh, I think she'll do a good job there. Mike Davis, in addition to being named president and executive producer of Dirty Mo Media, he's also become an equity partner in the company. So I think that that's pretty interesting as well, that Mike Davis uh, will have an equity stake within that organization as well. Uh, he's done a good job. He helped co-found uh, Dirty Mo Media and uh, and launched the Dale Jr. Download. So I think that that's uh, a really good move for Mike Davis. Tony Mayhoff, they're expanding his responsibilities to lead the management of Dale Jr. Brand uh, as vice president of strategy and development. And, uh, again, that expanded role uh, will leave him overseeing Earnhardt's endorsement portfolio, equity partnerships, and brand marketing and public relations. Mayhoff will also assume the oversight of the Dale Jr. Foundation, which he does not do now. So that's, uh, he has expanded responsibilities in that role. On-track uh, competition will continue to be the cornerstone of the business, and the longtime uh, motorsports licensor and marketing, Joe Mattis, has been promoted now to Senior Vice President of Business and Strategy for Junior Motorsports. He spearheaded uh, their corporate sponsorships and licensing, licensing endeavors since 2007 before he helped the seven-time champion Dale Earnhardt catapult uh, the NASCAR merchandising business into a multimillion-dollar industry. So he's good in that role. He's going to just be promoted to the Senior Vice President of Business and Strategy. And uh, L.W. Miller has now been named the Senior Vice President of Motorsports, a decorated racer in his own right. Miller has directed JRM's competition department since 2011. 
In that time, the company has expanded to three Xfinity Series titles and one Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series Championship and the Cars Late Model Stock Car Series Crown and multiple track championships with the Late Model Program. So he's going to continue again with a new title. Uh, So a couple of these positions, I agree with Mike, they're kind of the same, but I think uh, the role for Mike Davis and Tony Mayhoff uh, have also been pretty much expanded from what they were doing, uh, and especially Mike Davis there with the um, equity partnership now with Dirty Mo Media. Uh, and I agree with them also that the, the promotion to CEO is long overdue for Kelly Earnhardt Miller. What these guys are doing is picking up uh, the hole that was left when uh, Pemberton left uh, the organization, and I can't think of his first name right now, but I know his last name was Pemberton. Um, when he left, these these uh, strategic moves are intended to pick up some of that slack. So. Uh, I think they're all good moves, and I I think uh, Junior Motorsports uh, has proven itself to be an industry leader, and uh, I think that they will continue to be just that. Jay? Uh, Ryan is the first name you were looking there for, Ryan Ryan Pemberton. And I know when when we talked about this when he left, like Mike said, a month or so ago, um, I thought this was a a key factor. I know that – some feel it wasn't what I see here. First off, I'll say this, the, the titles and like <laughs> both reference, maybe the titles are changing their roles. Don't mean a whole lot to me, but one thing I look at, and I may be reading more into this than is there, but this is all business side associated for the most part. I think something else bigger is coming, such as the move of junior motorsports to the cup side that the business model there on the cup side is a little more uh, stressful and takes a little bit more. So I personally think that some of these things are setting themselves up for the cup side of the business aspect to it um, when it comes to marketing sponsors and everything else. Um, we know that Pemberton still did have a role in the competition side, but we've seen this year uh, most certainly led by Noah Gregson that junior motorsports as a, operating on-track organization is pretty on point. So, like I said, I feel like this is leading towards something uh, down the road uh, for the business side of it to match up with the competitive side of it for a move to Cup. Okay. Mike? Oh, Jay had to say that name, and I gagged a little bit. I didn't go full Noah Gregson, though, but I did gag a little bit. Uh, Anyway... (laughs) Um, I I had to throw that out there. Uh, Anyway, it is interesting to see that, at least as of right now, one of the biggest companies, the biggest brands affiliated with NASCAR has really nothing official to do with the NASCAR Cup Series. Yes, obviously, Dale Jr. is a broadcaster for NBC calling the Cup Series races, but Junior Motorsports does not have a presence in the NASCAR Cup Series. And maybe they will at some point in the future. And like Jay said, maybe they're setting up for that move. But I really have nothing more to add to the discussion. Just interesting that the, the, like I said, the biggest brand, one of the biggest brands in the entire sport, doesn't really have anything to do with the Cup Series right now, for now. Yeah, I think, Jay, you bring up a really good point about um, uh, this could be setting them up. And I think that's been their plan all along. 
Uh, the loss of Brian Pemberton may have delayed that a little bit, but I think that these moves are intended to strengthen their organization and uh, to pick up that slack and move in that direction. So uh, I, I think you make a good point with that. Uh, I, I uh, think that they should be. To Mike's point, uh, this is one of the leading organizations within NASCAR. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys picked up on this or not as well, but uh, another equity stakeholder in junior motorsports is Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, Rick Hendrick <laughs> is is an equity stake partner in junior motorsports. So, um uh, I think that Nat, that Dale Jr. and Kelly have made it clear that they do want to go and move forward uh, with the Cup Series. But I think that they, uh, when they made that announcement, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think when they originally made this announcement, I think they said that that would mean that they would have to uh, back away from Hendrick Motorsports in order to do that. So, um Again, this, these strategic uh, changes that they put into place are to help them do exactly that. So, uh, Jay, I guess you get the final word here. Well, I had it, but you actually brought up a very good point uh, because that is true. Uh, you can have an association or an alliance with another team but not an equity holder. And so for Junior Motorsports to move to Cup, you're right that Hendrick's equity portion would have to be adjusted um, or, I want to say manipulated to be eliminated. But um, so that that key element there could be a very key point. Um, originally, my final word there uh, was going to be to Mike. Of it was a good line with the Noah Gregson line there. But when when he does it, he's got no talent and he wins three races in a row. So he's got reason to do it. Yes, indeed. Okay, so with that, I guess we're at the end of our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion. As always, lively and interesting to have different points of view uh, bringing to the table. Uh, but let's go ahead and do our roundtable, and Mike, we'll start with you. Sure, it's going to be Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Unfortunately, my work shift this weekend runs from about 2 o'clock in the afternoon until about 8 o'clock at night. So I might be DVRing the races. The upshot, it's just Texas. So I should hopefully be free and, and able to, to watch the racing at Talladega and the Charlotte Roval in, in the next two weeks. But this week, we'll see about watching the racing live. I am going to watch it. I, I'm not going to miss it. Come on. I ain't going to miss it. But I might not be watching it live for once, but I'm still looking forward to it. Okay. Jay. All right, you can follow me on uh, Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And I think the way it plays out, yeah, I'll be home Saturday and Sunday to watch the uh, the races there at Texas. And, and Sharon, I want you to share the wealth. Uh, I know I declined, but maybe Mike could be interested in the bull riding, uh, getting involved in bull riding for you. Uh, yeah, think it's the same distance for him. <laughs> Yeah, don't 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 start without me, Jay. Any time now, don't start without me. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you, um, it's been a fun episode, and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to the racing this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. It's my birthday weekend, so I'm not going to be able to watch all of it, but I will definitely catch the replays. 
and uh, look forward to watching those races because I know they're important as part of the playoffs here. And um, my handle is Fan for Racing site on Twitter. We are Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including our uh, Facebook page and our um, website at fanforracing.com where we have our Fan for Racing radio player. So um, I'm uh, hoping everybody enjoys the races this weekend, and I hope uh, our listeners enjoyed the show tonight as much as we enjoyed doing it. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to everybody again on the other side. We did have Noah Gregson's uh, playoff uh, media interview earlier in the show. Uh, I thought that was a a really good interview, and uh, uh, I would encourage fans, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it. It's in the second half hour of the show. Uh, I didn't start it right at the top of the half hour, but I think about seven or between seven and ten minutes in, uh, we did uh, get that interview started. So, um, again, we'll look forward to uh, talking to everybody again. After the racing at Texas Motor Speedway on Monday night, we'll be back at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time for our Fan for Racing radio show on Monday night. With that, I guess we're ready to call it a night, guys. All right, good night. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy your weekend. Bye-bye.